Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. to the Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hot.
show. I'm Carrie Hines, and I am with Queen Goddess, my very special co-host. It's Wednesday morning, show number 162, November 4th, 2015. Good morning, Queen Goddess, and again, welcome to your radio morning show. Oh, good morning, wonderful Wednesday to you, Carrie. It's a wonderful, awesome, amazing day today. So happy to hear your voice. Ah, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Well, I am thrilled. I mean, uh, first of all, we want to officially welcome all of our wonderful and fantastic listeners to the Hair Radio Morning Show. Uh, We've got a lot of great things planned, and we have some great news to share with you. And uh, we're so excited. Uh, One of our recent guests to Hair Radio, well, first of all, I want to thank everybody uh, for participating in the voting process. Um, there were elections held all over, and uh, we just had some fantastic folks, one of whom was a recent guest to the Hair Radio Morning Show. Her name, you will recall, uh, is Annette Blackwell. Well, she's won, and we can now call her Miss Mayor. She's the very first African, uh, African-American female to win that particular uh, mayor, uh, to become mayor in that town. Oh, wow. So we are so excited. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations to Annette Blackwell. We're going to uh, air her interview That's in awesome. just a couple minutes so you can hear the recent interview that she came and did right here on our show. And we're so excited. It's the first person I think that um, I've known before who became mayor. <laughs> now, I have other mayors who've been on our show who were past mayors or, you know, recent mayors, but she is a current mayor, and we're so Absolutely. excited for her. And yes. just uh, she's going to do big things. She's a very smart lady, queen goddess. Mm-hmm. Yes, she, she is. is uh, yes, and we're going to name her as well queen for the day because uh, she's Absolutely. just knocked it out of the ballpark. And we just yes, wish her so much success. She's got her hands mm-hmm. full, as you will listen yes, to in this upcoming in this interview piece. Uh, but she's, if anybody can, you know, turn the tide and and make things a little bit better. I went to visit this town, so I was there, um, and I met her in person. And Maple Heights is just, uh, you'll hear, you'll hear the piece coming up in just a moment. Uh, we'll get it on. We'll get another song on, and then we'll get the interview piece on with. Uh, the new mayor, Annette Blackwell, in Maple Heights, Ohio. So we're really, really excited. And there's some postings and things on Facebook. Please look them, uh, seek them out, make mm-hmm. some comments. We'll be happy to hear from you. Uh, if you follow mm-hmm. us on Twitter, you can um, go to at Hair Radio, or you can just use the hashtags on Facebook or Twitter, which are Hair Radio 20, H A I R A D I O 20. And you could even use the hashtag uh, Mayor Blackwell as well, or Hair Radio Mayor Blackwell, any of those would work for us. Um, just a big show plan. We've got some great hair talk. We've got some recent folks that you may have kind of overlooked, and we also got mm-hmm. some requests to uh, get some folks back on. We're going to just kick off with some great music, as we do each and every single day, and uh, just a lot more to go. So, uh, you know, the first up will be Mayor Mayor. Blackwell. So how does that sound? Sounds excellent. Awesome. Yes, it sounds so awesome. I'm excited to hear her. She's an amazing woman. Very phenomenal. All right. 
Yes. So here we go. Maybe we'll get a couple of songs in, and then we're going to roll right on into the interview. Stay with us, everybody. Big show. to the Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines. It is Wednesday morning, November 4th, 2015. And as promised, we are rolling into this wonderful interview with Mayor Blackwell. She was not the mayor when she was here, but uh, yeah, she was running for office. And we are so proud that she has actually won the election. So uh, take a listen, because these are some very important things that she talks about when she mentions about the challenges that she faces now, uh, you know, in terms of uh, becoming mayor. So uh, let us know what you think. There's a whole lot more of the Hair Radio Show. It's a great interview. Stay with us, everybody. You're listening to the Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines. Now, we have a very special guest with us today. She's from the world of politics. 
Now, she is running for mayor in her area, in her town, actually. It's called uh, Maple Heights in Maple Heights, Ohio. The Hair Radio Morning Show rolls out a very special welcome to Ms. Annette Blackwell. Good morning, Annette. Good morning. Yes. Well, first of all, I want to thank you so much for being with us. We know how very busy you are. Now, um, you have to tell us, first, tell us a little bit about uh, Maple Heights, Ohio, uh, you know, for the folks who are outside of the area. Oh, sure. Maple Heights is a a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. We sit in a county that most people cannot pronounce. It's an Indian name, Cahoga. Okay, no, you're right about that. (laughs) (laughs) About 23,000 residents. And as of the most recent uh, numbers, it's a suburban city that had been historically Italian, but it's almost 72% African-American, as we mm-hmm. say. Okay. Now, I have to say, and uh, in full disclosure, I had an opportunity to come and stay there for a little bit in uh, Maple Heights, Ohio. And I have to say, um, I thought it was a beautiful area, a beautiful suburbanish kind of area. It had a wonderful feel, and the folks are just fabulous. So we're going to get into all of the other uh, concerns that, uh, you know, that I'm sure you will be addressing uh, throughout the interview. But um, what I could, uh, my takeaway was that it is just a community uh, that is full of folks who uh, love the area and they're just friendly. And uh, we have to talk of, you know, we're going to talk on some business things, but I just thought uh, it's based on that alone, uh, it's the place to be. And I, I can't imagine, you know, um, you know, any other thing besides folks coming there and supporting your your bid and, and the area. So, and that's good like, to well, hear you say that. <laughs> oh, that well, that's not the truth. The opinion, <laughs> but it's not the popular opinion today about me. Uh, and that is because, wow. like many suburban communities, I don't, um, it always is a little frustrating and disappointing to hear people isolate Maple Heights as if something here is going on that's not going on in some suburb in some other part of the country, or the world, for that matter. Uh, It's a city that's been uh, affected by uh, the recession, uh, high foreclosures, predatory lending, uh, uh, blight and flight, I'll just say that, Uh Um, depreciating home values, um, vacant industrial buildings, and all of those things, uh, high unemployment. uh, and, And I have to add, a lot of things that we're dealing with are the erosion of morality. Um, you know, our men are, are not in the homes uh, for many reasons. High incarceration, you know, it's a disproportionate number of black males that are that are in, in prison. And all of those things, social ills, if, if you will, are, have affected Maple Heights. And so when I moved to Maple Heights almost 19 years ago, it was what you described. And to a novice coming to Maple Heights, People still see that, and that's one of the things that motivated me, keeps me motivated to stay in Maple Heights. And now my current um, mission is, is, is to, to, to bring back Maple Heights, you know, just to address the erosion of quality of life and bring back those things that made it beautiful. But, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist, and I'm also a realist. We'll say, you know, they'll, they'll go back 30, 40 years. We're not going to get back to what things were 30, 40 years ago because the world has changed so significantly. We have social ills that we maybe didn't have three or four years ago. But I am committed to making as good as it can possibly be in in this day, this present day, because I still see what you saw when you came here, quiet tree-lined streets, 
people yes. are enthusiastic, people working yes. hard, uh, nestled away from the big city, but yet close enough to the city that we can get there in 20 minutes. Maple Heights mm-hmm. is strategically located, and that means that we, we, sit, we sit in the middle of about four different highways to get downtown, uh, south of Ohio, Akron, where our king is from, um, all of those things. And so like some other suburbs in the city, we don't have to drive 15 minutes to find a highway. We're, 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 we sit like among three or four of them. Great shopping. It's very, very affordable. And it's so small that, like my daughter, for instance, who's a senior at the high school, she's gone to school with the same kids since first grade. Because it's, mm. you know, it's Ellising Elementary School, then they all migrate to well, three different elementary schools from different parts of the city. But then they all mi- migrate to the same middle school and then all migrate to the high school. So it's small time, it's small town living. Oh, uh, you know what I have to say, and you mentioned it earlier, I think you said about 72% African-American, um, kind of like, a, you know, the, makes up the population there in your area. Uh, what can we say? It's, folks have always said that, you know, our community, we're not, you know, the first to be running out there to vote and all that, but what can you say that kind of, you know, will motivate those who may be a little sluggish at uh, coming out and supporting uh, the candidates? What what can you say to kind of give them that little nudge for um, well, everybody? Sure, I can tell you what I've been trying to say because if I knew yeah. exactly what to say, you know, I, I'd be <laughs> right. how, how You'd have right. that, right. <laughs> um, one of the things I, I've been trying to, the message I've been trying to get across is I've been saying a couple things you think you throw out and you hope it all, something works, is that for the first time um, in the history of Maple, well, in the, pretty much in the history of Maple Heights, the history that I know, and so that's for the last 19 years, we've had, we have an open seat. Uh, it always had been an incumbent, and then um, we'd have, uh, that incumbent would, you know, do eight years, 12 years, but the incumbent wow. would almost, always, almost run. This is the first time we don't have an incumbent running wow. that I am aware of in the short history I've been here. And that is um, unusual. Our current mayor um, is not running again, so it's an open seat. And for that reason, we had five people initially in the race, and it's uh, after the primary that was just in September, September the 8th. Right, we have to congratulate that on you just even making it, you know, that far. I think that's a a huge accomplishment. So that was the September 8th primary election. I had to stick my chest out. It, it certainly was because I won with significant numbers, and I was uh, like the horse at the back of the race. You know, they said, "Oh, he's got a lame leg. He'll, he'll never win." You know, I was the the, the, it's the, the, the underdog. You know, you I came in underdog. with the right. Uh huh. So we really have to applaud you for that. You're right. I I made the primary and significant and won the primary in a, in a significant way. So I I thank you for that because I'm gonna take that compliment. I'm sticking my chest out. Yes. Uh, yes. Very well deserved. So tell us uh, the the I think it's the called the general election, correct? That's uh, November third. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is where we want to get the folks out there uh, in who are in the Maple Heights, Ohio. We have lots of fans who listen to our show from all over, but particularly that area. And uh, shout out to what I know in particular. I know Tina's right there, uh, who's uh, been a big supporter of yours too, uh, Tina Hobson, and she has a radio show and all that stuff she's doing. Yeah, yeah she's been a huge supporter and just. Um, kind of, you know, helping you to, you know, just get out there with your message and shout out to Kimberly also. I'm going to say your folks that you guys, uh, that you have helping you with your campaign. She, I yeah. can see she's doing a fantastic job, obviously. Um, yeah. So, yeah. You, now, I think we, we should talk a little bit. I really want to push and get 
for folks to understand why it's important that they come out to vote. And the reason that I say that, and, and we're going to then, you know, kind of backtrack a little bit and talk a little bit about, you know, where you come from and where you grew up and all of that. But right now I want to kind of just really uh, tell the folks things that they need to do to get them motivated. I think that the one thing that kind of jumps out in my mind, you know, there's been a whole bunch of civil unrest. You kind of, you know, uh, referenced it a little bit uh, at the top of the interview uh, in pockets around the country. And a lot of folks say when they think about like a Ferguson uh, where you had folks who, um, for whatever reason, they may have felt disenfranchised. They weren't part of the – weren't really connected to the voting process. Let's just call it the way it was. Um, what can you say that, you know, that folks need to understand how critical this is uh, to have a voice, to have a sure. voice well, and express I'll that? Sure. I'll say two things. Ironically, you would bring up Ferguson because there was a New York Times article that likened uh, Maple Heights to Ferguson. In you're kidding. Of, really? No. Yeah. So, you know, someone else uh, listening to the call might, after the call, might want to go ahead and, and Google that. Oh, we will um, be Googling that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank but you. In, in ter- and they did that in terms of the racial, uh, the population, the mm-hmm. racial makeup of its people, and then its, its, its local government. And so it, it, it's just ironic. It's more than ironic that you would, would, would mention yeah, that one. Uh, there's already an article out there uh, comparing the two cities. But um, what I would say is, you know, it's always difficult when, when, a, when a city's population changes and inverts itself the way Maple Heights inverts itself. And you still have the people that have been here, you know, I meet mean, people that have been here since 1950. Wow. And they had a way of life. They had a way of life. Mm-hmm. That has changed, uh, and the, it's changed in a way that's not always comfortable for them. It's changed very quickly, um, and usually, what happens is, is, is the but the administration. The, so, the, so the population changes, but the administration doesn't change, and so mm-hmm. there becomes a disconnect. And what we have, what we have now, people don't trust. There's, you know, there's charges that the current administration has taken money. There's so much apathy. What I hear. Is apathy. We don't have leaf collection anymore. Uh, we've got some streets in, our, in major disrepair. Schools are struggling. Um, all the things that you, you know, you, you're trying to get away when you move for a better life. We're putting more money down. We're buying more expensive homes. We're moving to the suburbs. You know, that there's this impression or this vision that when you drive, and have to, there's something bigger and grander and more wonderful. That's what we signed on for. And yet, um, as we've gotten here, not a lot has changed in terms of um, the issues because the people that are coming are bringing those issues. They have those issues, and when they get it, those issues don't go away. If there were, if children were struggling as students in the metropolitan area, they come out here and they struggle. And then that affects the entire report card of the schools here. And then people here get frustrated that our schools are getting bad, and they yank their kids out and they put them in private. And then we leave behind the kids that are not doing so well. So we've just created the same situation. But you just laugh right. when, when you do that. Um, and, you know, we weren't people that, you know, really took a whole lot of pride in our property. Um, that doesn't change. We've changed our address, but we bring those habits with us. But what I can say, and, um, again, you're going to see so many um, ironics or irony in what we're talking about. I am from Selma, Alabama. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Um, yes. Cleveland in 1964. And I actually am from a little town called Oroville. And Oroville is what Maple Heights is to Cleveland. 
Orville is what mm. it is to Selma. It's the suburb of Selma, Alabama. And so if you wanted to go to a dentist or my grandmother to get a, a fancy dress, we had to go to Selma or, or go to town. And so I am from sharecroppers. People, although slavery ended many years ago, sharecropping, and it's former slavery, was still going on. Summer camp for us was getting out of school Memorial Day and going out and helping on the farm and coming back Labor Day um, because my family were sharecroppers. So this movie, Selma, that came out, it's it's it is it is almost eerily just prophetic that it would, this place I came from would come out the same year I chose this one for mayor. Isn't that that's more amazing. than like prophetic? Right, so that's that's a sign, of course. Selma, Alabama. That bridge that those people took that beach. Right, the cross. Right. on that bridge. Half of them were on there. They have scars, and they can talk wow. about it like it was yesterday. A couple of my aunts, a couple of my my dad's uh, sisters, and um, his cousins. Would not go. See, they wouldn't go to the movie. They wouldn't go. Wow. They said, "Why do we need to go see eight dollars? Go see what they we live through it." They were too emotional, yeah. and I just couldn't yeah. understand. I thought, you know, oh, you know, they all go together. They refuse to go. So mm-hmm. anyone that did go, that didn't see it up close, like the family members that I'm referring to right now, mm-hmm. it was all about. It wasn't about slavery, like some like twelve years of slavery. It was about the fight to vote, fighting mm-hmm. for the right. If you saw that movie which, again, is prophetic, that would be, here's this girl from Selma running in the same year that's about voting. How could wow. you not vote right now? How could exactly. you not? Exactly. Wow. Because it's more than a really, thing, but I'm from Selma, and then I'm running. It's more you than hit it on the head. You really hit it on the head. Well, folks, if you've just joined us, you're listening to the Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines, and I have a very special guest with us. She is from the world of politics, and that Blackwell comes to us from uh, the Maple Heights, Ohio area, uh, which is right outside of Cleveland, and she is running for mayor as we speak. So she's looking for, you know, the folks out there and, you know, in her area uh, to certainly vote and get involved, uh, you know, with uh, the process uh, and, uh, you know, just uh, make your voice heard. No, I have to say this is um, quite interesting. And you're a very interesting person to talk to, uh, Annette Blackwell. I have to say, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to lay out, though, You, we, we kind of talked a little bit about it. Some of the challenges um, that exist right now in uh, Maple Heights, um, you know, we, I want to tackle some of the – what are some of the challenges? I know we spoke about education. I understand they have mm-hmm. some huge fiscal issues going on. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and this is uh, – it's also important to mention that you have a commercial tax background and you are used to this whole process of, uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess I call it tax budgeting and all kinds of things. So you will have to uh, – Tell our tell our listeners a little bit more about that experience, and and some, lay out some of the challenges that are ahead for uh, that area and, and whoever's the next mayor. But we're going to say it's you. Go right ahead. Well, our challenges, our fiscal challenges, are so significant that our state auditor, the Ohio State Auditor, because we sit in, in the state of Ohio, has declared our city in fiscal emergency, and they oh. have come into our city and they are pouring over our books as we speak. And they're trying to help city officials uh, with a recovery plan, which is supposed to happen over five years. And so we don't have enough cash to pay our bills. 
we have laid off a significant number of city officials, city employees, I should say, not officials, but city right. employees. Employees would be right. more more appropriately stated. Right. As well as, um, so we're, we're we're bare minimal. And I'll give you an example. We had four people working in our building department. Four to six people were down to two. Um, you know, we ha- we basically don't really open to the public on on Fridays. We're doing everything we can do to uh, weather the storm. I mentioned that we no longer have leaf collection. Um, the streets are in disrepair. And, um, you know, we, 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 we are in danger, which is really sad. We have a levy, a tax levy, um, on the ballot in November, along with the mayoral race, for the senior center. This is where our seniors go, and they get two meals a day, and they get to interact. Okay. And there's a, a bus that takes them to doctor's appointments and just does some fun things with them. This levy doesn't pass. That lifeline, that life-sustaining center closes. And some other human services are affected that's tied to that, our food bank. And we have a record number of people using the food bank to get through the month when, when benefits run out. So that's how serious it is. We're in fiscal emergency. We, we're not able to maintain, you know, health and human services without asking, going to the taxpayers and asking for more money. Uh, on that, since we're talking about tax, I am a 15-year commercial property tax analyst at an international tax firm. It is based in Dallas, Texas, but they have offices in every major city uh, over the uh, United States. Um, I sit in the Midwest region, which means our, our regional office is in Chicago, where our VP sits. And so we have Chicago and Columbus and Cleveland and Minneapolis and Detroit. That is, so I sit in that cluster of offices. And we offer various tax services, taxes you've never heard of, forensic tax recovery, sales of use, income franchise, and I sit in the property tax consulting division. And so what we do is we reach out mainly to commercial clients, manufacturing clients, huge clients, to offer various tax services, depending on what their tax service uh-huh. is. So what um, my particular position is, is I work with uh, several attorneys and consultants, and we take a look at huge commercial property owners. Commercial property owners, we have one um, property owner that owns 600 shopping centers, although they're headquartered in Ohio. And we, we do with property owners that are headquartered in Ohio, their properties all over the country. Okay. Here in Ohio, there are 88 counties in Ohio. I have to okay. hold that, which is a name that I said people have a hard time um Pronouncing. There's 87 more because this is a, wow. a, a Native American. I'm gonna call them Indians, but Native Americans were. And so a lot of the names are Indian. They're hard to pronounce. But I work in 87 others with some of them with hard to pronounce names. And what we do is every year we look at what their values. How are their values trending? Are they going up? Or are they going down? Because most of these huge owners want some tax relief, especially if they're a shopping center and they've had. Some bankruptcy. Some of the stores are closed, especially if they have a big oh, income. Oh yeah, like so they're looking for some relief. Any relief they're that you tax relief. Yeah. They, they're no longer right. being. Um, they, they've lost significant rent. So that's so for the auditor or in some parts of the country, right. it's assessor. Um, so here we call it an auditor, but it's really an assessor. It's saying that that the property is worth the shopping center six point four million, but they've got four or five stores that have gone out of business. It's really not six point four million. So we need to put together a performance show them. Okay. Really, it's only worth $2.9 million because here's, here's loss of rent. So you, you, you kind of go through a financial analysis and you make that presentation to the local assessor to fight on behalf of your client to get the value reduced. So without going into a lot more detail, it is a valuation process. 
for residential properties, which is primarily what is here in, in Maple Heights, and what people are most upset about because they just got their valuation notice about three weeks ago. And values in 2012 because it's on a three-year cycle here in Ohio. Although for commercial properties, we look at it every year if we can, um, just to see how it's trending. We lost about four, almost 40% of our value. So people owe more than their homes are worth underwater. Uh, the old underwater, I yeah. Lot, I do a lot of work in Florida. It happened. It was terrible in Florida. I, I was just, it was just really a, a horrible story in Florida, how much people um, owed and, and what their property dropped to in terms of val- valuation. Right. And I mean, then that is we just, just the valuation. worst thing in the world, just awful. Yeah, and they've dropped another 8%. So values aren't going up. They're going down. They're depreciating rather than depreciating. And for most people, their home is their biggest asset. So it's, it's heartbreaking. Right. They're frustrated on top of not having lease service and things. Now my home isn't even worth anything. Which is, you know, it's for some people. So it's a generational wealth they're hoping to leave that for their children, and now that's not worth much at all. So it's just my under, understanding how the valuation process works. There's some things we can do um, to get the values back up. Uh, and and for residential property, look at top of sales. We got to get the sales up. When homes are sell, if your house is worth eighty thousand dollars, with the house on the street sold for fifteen, that's your average now. They're going to average the two, and so now your house is worth what between fifty and sixty. So we got to get we got to get sales up, values of homes up. So when they sell, we've got you know we've got some comparable sales that raise our value and not depreciate them. So it is it is a it is a long process. It's involved, but that is basically on a, on a residential um, evaluation um, process. That's that's how it's done, and we just have to get to, get our arms around and understand how values. Are uh, are determined for properties, and then and begin to to do that in our community. Well, I'll tell you something. I know that even as well from uh, just on a business level, uh, to kind of you know retain the folks who are there, you want to keep them uh, there in the fold uh, in your area, and then you want to also bring uh, folks into your area to uh, help support your community. Uh, you know, and to me, so we want to make sure that, you know, once you get in the door, as soon as you get your foot in the door, uh, we are going to be just right there coming out and doing everything we can to help lift that community up. And, uh, and you know, and I believe you can do it. Okay? I believe you can do it. Um, and we're going to give you as much support as we can. Um, so... Yeah, so now um, I do have to ask you this. The first thing that came to mind uh, when I first met you and when I heard about all of this that you're doing, what um, – I kind of have an idea because you kind of told us a little bit, uh, you know, being from uh, outside of Selma, uh, but what really has inspired you to say, you know what, I can do this? What, where does that well, come from? Well, I'm going to give you the, the, thing, the, the gut punch that said, okay, enough. I mentioned that I work for an international tax firm, uh-huh. and um, I'm among family, but I'm going to keep it very honest. I am the only person of color. Uh-huh. I have been the only person of color for uh, over 15 years. Wow. Uh, in my office in Cleveland, we had, we had a person uh-huh. of color in Columbus, but in Cleveland, it's just been me. I've been the only person of color. Wow. And um, when something happens in Maple Heights, and I go in the break room, get coffee or water, they all say, Boy, what's happening in Maple Heights? To the point that you almost feel ashamed, like, oh, I hope it's not Maple Heights. I don't have to go to work at, 
And he, like, as I, as I said, I'm the reporter or the expert on this. Like, <laughs> right. They got so bad. I, I, one, of the, one of the gentlemen I work with is an attorney, and he lives in a very affluent neighborhood that's predominantly mm-hmm. Caucasian. He took it upon himself to find me a house on her street to get me out of Maple Heights because he said, you wow. got to get out. Well, wow. I have two sons. They're, they're young black men, and at the time, uh-huh. they were, I don't know, 12 and maybe, I think they were 12 and 7. That would have been a difficult transition. But here's the thing. I like where I live. I like my neighborhood. I like Maple Heights. Uh, we have a very diverse community. I have um, Indians that live down the street. I have people from Russia that live across the street. I have a very, uh, I live uh, Germany. I, this is Italian. I have a very, very diverse community. I don't want to live where I am the only one, and I go in the grocery store. I like, I like mixing the, they're a mixing pot, a melting pot, if you will. So, and I chose my house because I love my house. It's a beautiful home. It's affordable. I looked all over the community. I said, this was it for me. So, I got so tired of the kind of little jokes, if you will, about Maple Heights. And I said, you know, that's it. Darn it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to run from here. I'm going to change this thing. <laughs> uh-huh. I got intense. And I got a little, you know, like not my community. You gotta find something else to talk about, kind of thing. So that's really what got me going. And then, as I conclude, both of my sons, my sons are 32 and 26. My younger son just moved back with this little girl who's one, live in Maple oh, Heights. And so wow. I have four. My oldest son has three boys, and my, like I said, my younger son has a, a little girl. I have four grandchildren that live in Maple Heights. You got roots both there. My, it means my something. Family, to you. My family, my, the people that are super, super important to me live in this city. And I don't want people talking about it the way they're talking about it. You know, the other, the the other thing is, yes, please. I, I, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. I would love to hear. The last thing is, uh, for four years, I've been the coordinator for the uh, Maple Heights City School Parent Academy, and that is an effective skill building program. And this program is geared towards blacks, and there's a, one for Hispanics, because we parent from a different place. And I've been teaching that program. It is a... Um, it is a consulting position I have with the schools, and every year, praise God, they renew my contract and ask me to come back. I probably graduate over 100 parents um, from that, and I hear a lot of them have moved here to have a better life, and they're struggling. you got women working two and three jobs to be out here. They're trying to make it happen. Yeah. Men putting two and three jobs together trying to make it happen. They wanted something. They wanted a yard for their children. They wanted a place to park the car. They wanted a park they could walk to. You know, they were looking just for a better life. And they're doing just a basic lot. basic quality of life things. Uh, right. Uh, and so wow. I want, and so I hear them, and I know they've come out here and they're expecting something different. And I'm like, okay, well, you know what? i gotta, I got to help them. So between my own, personal, my own personal passion about it and just frustration with people saying the things they say, because this is a problem. Every time we get something that's bad, we move, and we leave behind ghetto. We've done that from the beginning of time. We just move, and so there's another ghetto. So now we move to this, and then we and then we left it. Oh, that used to be a beautiful place. That used. Oh, I remember when. Well, you know, I'm not a young person, not an old person. I got some time left in me to say, let's just do it right now. Let's just make it. Let's just remember now, and fix it up. And so, those are the reasons I'm running. Well, I love it, and I have to say, you know, it all comes back down to that fight or flight type idea. And also, mm-hmm. the other thing I was just thinking as you were explaining this and talking about this, I tried to figure out, well, why, where, where do people think they can actually go that 
all the the things, you know, the problems won't eventually, you know, make its way to their doorstep. I, I yeah. just, I don't understand that. What, you know, I don't get that concept at all. So if we don't come together, which to me seems the only way that we can make any kind of meaningful change, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> but I tell you one thing I do want to say. I'm glad that we have Annette Blackwell. Thank okay, you. I'm glad of that. Um, and we need you. And Thanks. we need you. So I'm just hoping this, uh, we, you know, that this is just the beginning of this whole, uh, you know, uh, political uh, career for you. We just would love for you. We need someone out there and fighting the good fight and understanding um, and being a person who understands our community. You're from the community and uh, you represent the community and, 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 and then some. And so we need you. So just keep doing what you're doing. You, you, okay. You're doing an amazing job. And again, I just want to thank you from uh, the hair radio morning show team and all the folks who are so wonderful to us out there in that area. Uh, you know, from Maple Heights, Ohio area. You're just amazing. So keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. And then, uh, anybody that you want to sh- uh, shout out to this morning, um, we know that you got a lot of folks who uh, helped to put together your campaign. Um, you know, anyone that you want to shout out to? I mean, well, certainly uh, Ms. Tina Hobson, Hobson of Superwoman Radio and Kimberly yes. Brown, uh, who's been my strategist for 10 months now. And, wow. uh, you know, just trying to help make it happen. It's been a, a challenge on, on many levels. You know, just trying to get the word out, um, just making ourselves available. It's been a very small team, but a productive and a mighty team. So to, to the two women that have been really significant in terms of they, they have a lot of venues. And I'm still trying. I have to still work. <laughs> well, and so when I'm working, these two are, are just filling in the gaps for me all the time. And for that, I'm extremely appreciative. Wow. You're wearing many hats, actually. <laughs> you really are. You wear many hats, and you're doing a great job at it. I, I just, uh, you know, we are just in awe. Well, listen, um, I have to say, and thank you so much. Uh, you're very we want to, yes, well, we want to encourage everybody. Now, again, they need to come out if they're in uh, the Maple Heights, Ohio area. On November 3rd is the uh, big election there. Uh, that you're running for mayor, so they need to come out and support um, and just come on out and, uh, you know, and cast your vote. It's important. And uh, thank you so much. And you'll keep us abreast how you are moving along. And, and uh, I can't wait to say the words Miss Mayor, you know, uh, very soon. So we're going to keep all of our fingers crossed. And, and those of us who can come out and be part of it in your community, we will be there. So thank you, thank you okay. so much. And thanks for being you're with us welcome. on the Hair Radio Morning Show. All right, now we're going to have you to stay on, remain on the line, and uh, you folks uh, stay with us. There is a whole lot more of the Hair Radio Morning Show to come. Stay with us. Here with the Hop of Fleecy Dot, I'm the Holistic Hair Healer. Have you ever wondered how, as a professional stylist, that you can get better at cornrows or even learn the concept of braidless weaving to assist your clients better? And in a natural way, our certificate programs and courses offer you the opportunity to not only increase and advance your skills, but improve your health and that of the people you interact with. To find out more about our classes, certificate programs, structurally enhanced water, known as Dr. Brown's Healing Water, and the Felicidad Signature line, which includes Felicidad Hair Sugar, 
please contact us at 973-619-2855 or 201-921-9894. We look forward to hearing from you soon.
You're listening to the Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines. I'd like to welcome to the show Mr. Vincent Ellis White. Now, he is an author of a book called Finding Chris, My Father. I'd like to welcome to the Hair Radio Morning Show, Vincent. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me. Yes. And, well, first of all, and that's Vincent Ellis White. I want to make sure that's clear. Now, you are the author of this book, and and I think it has such a very interesting subject matter that it deals with. Uh, tell us about Finding Chris, My Father. What is it all about? Okay, well, the book Finding Chris, My Father is a memoir that I wrote, um, wrote and published myself, and it's about my um, very intriguing story growing up of dealing with fatherlessness. And um, to give you a quick synopsis of it, um, I grew up with a father that was a habitual offender, so he was in and out of jail, um, and there was, he was definitely in more times than he was out. So I was raised, you know, like a lot of my other young uh, African-American males, I was raised with just my mother in a single-parent, single-income um, home. And she used to take me to visit him two to three times a week at the prison, um, but she told me he was in school. And so I was a young kid. So, you know, when you're a young kid, you listen to your parents, and everything they say is golden. So, you know, I believed uh, whatever she was telling me. She could have told me he was a unicorn. I probably would have, would have believed it. But um, <laughs> right. I, 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 thought he was in, I thought he was in school. And, um, you know, my, my friends that read the book, they said, how would you not know he's in jail? And I said, well, you know, uh, they're thinking I'm seeing jail bars, but I never saw any jail bars. I, I, sat, at, I sat at a picnic table with him. And I'd be able to interact with him. I could touch him, give him a hug, you know, play basketball with him, met his friends and you know, stuff like that. So in my mind, you know, he was in school, and um, that's what it was for a while. It wasn't until my, you know, adolescence, until I got a little bit older, that I realized you can't be in school for 18 years. You said, you know, straight, uh, you got to come out and be a doctor or something about it. So I knew something was going on at that point. Um, right. <laughs> Uh, well, so well know, how did you feel when you realized that, that he was uh, incarcerated? How did you feel at that point when you found out he was in, being know, incarcerated? I, yeah, I, and that's a good question because I started to, uh, like, every, as I said before, everything my mom said was golden, man, because I never know her to, like, you know, fabricate anything to me. But that showed me that, you know, uh, she she does shield things from me, her son, and, you know, it also showed me that, uh, my dad, you know, was doing the same thing. And I started acting out. Um, you know, I was smelling myself a little bit in my preteens and teen years. So, you know, just like how other teens do, I started acting up, you know, and, and not just acting up, but I had a lot of anger inside of me because uh, of different things. I saw my mother struggling with one income. I saw him popping in and out of her life. You know, uh, I had that lie that was told to me and all kind of other things that was happening that I just needed a disciplinarian in the home. And even though my mother was very, you know, strict and stern about certain things, there's nothing like that male figure being in the home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, but the shocker was when I turned uh, 16 years old, my mother sat me down and she said, Vince, she was like, uh, your father, you know, that you, I know you know and love and all the other stuff. She said, I want to let you know it's something that's been on my heart for a long time and I've been feeling guilty about it. And she said, um, your father that you know is your father is not your biological father. And we got into this big, huge argument because I blew up on her. And I always had this big respect for my mother, man. But um, I never got any arguments with her or anything. That's how I was raised. But I blew up on her because I was like, you know, first of all, this is a second lie. 
but then it was a huge lie because even though I had mad animosity for this man for different reasons, I loved him to death. I loved when he came around, when he was home. You know, I loved visiting him and just all kind of things. So it just kind of turned my, put a whirlwind inside of my life, really. And I felt like I couldn't really trust anybody. Um, I was asking her questions. She wasn't really answering them. She was more concerned with, you know, how was I dealing with that news. But, um, you know, I, I, I actually, after I got that news, I just started doing some different stuff, man. Like, I actually went and disowned his side of the family. And I was very close with them. Like, I spent time with them, equal amount of time with them as I did with my mom's side. Because even though he wasn't there, his family was there for me my entire life. But I disowned everybody. And my rationale was that they are, they're not my blood. And I thought, like, I was the butt of a big joke and, like, everybody, um, you know, knew the secret about me. Um, I didn't find out until later that nobody knew. But um, I just owned the family, and I only was, like, really rocking with my mom's side of the family. Which I said, I know they're my blood because I know I came from her mom, you know, so the, the last name White, I was only rocking with that side of the family. And um, my, my, friend was, my friend was mad at me. I mean, it was all kind of stuff going on, man. And I ended up so where sure just to follow your story where does uh where what happened to your actual father then did your mother tell you at that time well that's what I was getting to so I, I graduated oh. from high school went to college mm-hmm. and um and when I turned twenty one I called my family and I said I was changing my last name and that's where I got more news at I told my mom I was changing my I was changing my middle and last name. My name, my uh, choir name was Vincent Lopez Matt the Third, and I changed my name to Vincent Ellis White. And my rationale at the time of, of being 21 years old was that I knew the last name Ellis because my grandfather had that last name that I grew up that I grew up with partially, and I knew the last name White was my blood. And I could and I, and I didn't look at the other side of my blood. So that lets you know I was going through an identity crisis. At that point is when my mom started giving me more information on it. I guess she thought I couldn't handle it until then. But she said, um, well, listen, you know, I already told you, your family didn't know anything about the secret, but you've been so angry at your stepfather, and then now your biological father. And she was like, I never told him about you. And I said, wait, 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 what? And she was like, I never told Chris Anderson about you. Because at 16, all she told me was that my dad's name was Chris Anderson. That was it. She didn't give me any more information or anything. So then she told me she never told my biological father about me. So I had to transfer all that anger that I had for him thinking he was a deadbeat dad, like, elsewhere. So I was just acting out. Um, but then I started looking for him as well. And well, so, was your um, mother like a teenager at this time, like when you were born? No, this sounds like something maybe a teenager born. would do. You said 35. No, it's, no, no, 25. But listen, oh, 25, and, and okay. It's funny you say that because you think that, but I actually I I work at the I work for the state now for the for the division of child support enforcement. Uh huh. Surprised how many mothers have done the same thing. Trust me, it's not a teenage wow. thing. Um, it's not it's not an immature thing because I deal with mothers that are in their thirties that do it. It's a it's a oh wow. Thing. Um, it's, it's a family secret. It's an embarrassment, you know, type thing. So. What happened in talking to my mother as I got older was my mom said, Vince, my biggest mistake was not telling your, like, me and your father parted ways, and I found out I was pregnant. And she said, and I should have told him, but I didn't. And then I met 
the guy that you thought was your father, and he was telling me, you know, worry about it, I'll take care of this like he's my own. He ended up signing my birth certificate, so he gave me his entire name. But nobody told me, wow. you know what I mean? That he might what a dynamic so, person, oh Anna. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So later on, my mother tried to tell me, but at that point, I found out that my, the person I thought was my dad started um, putting his hands on my mother. So he threatened her like, you know, my secret. So like I said, it's not just a thing of no immaturity, but it's like it was guilt. It was, uh, you know, being physically abused. Wow. It was all kind of stuff. And, and these, well, and Vincent, this is, a, this is a little bit of a different story, too, because, okay, so you're the gentleman that you believe was your father. Who, uh, you know, was was uh, you know supportive as he wanted to sign that birth certificate and and actually be your father, unlike a lot of folks today, uh, you know. And then he didn't even he didn't want you to even know that he that you knew that he wasn't your father. That really doesn't happen all that much. I mean, really, I know it. I mean, I haven't heard of it too often. We see the opposite play out every day on Mari Povich's show. So this is something that seems a little well, different. Well, uh, I mean, like I say, it's, it's, a lot of people are going to be very subjective with their opinions on this. Like, and I see mm-hmm. both, especially me working with child support now, but I, I can see the, the uh, good intentions in the beginning. I definitely see that. On the flip side, um, he, I, I don't recall him being such a great father, just to be honest mm. with you. Um, so, you know, because he... he wasn't there, I mean, for a lot of stuff, like, even, you know, just just giving me positive reinforcement and a positive role model, and that, those are things, those are attributes that a good, you know, father should possess as well. Um, it, it it was great that he stepped up, but when you step up, you got to step all the way up. You know what I'm saying? You I totally agree. Yeah, you can't get somebody your name and, and, tell, and not tell them that you're not their father, but then you don't do anything. And later on, it's not, gonna only, it's not only going to be a mighty blow when they find out that you're not their father, but it's, all, it's already been a big blow because you haven't even been there. So what I tell people actually is I say, hey, not only was I dealt a mighty blow to find out he wasn't my father, but on the low, I was kind of relieved because he hadn't been there, and I was kind of embarrassed the fact that all my friends knew I had a father in, in jail. You know what I mean? So... I was looking forward to finding Chris, but then at the same time I got disappointed because I thought Chris was trying to not be in my life either. Found out, you know, found out that he didn't know. And um, the beauty of and all, all that you had to go on was you know, whatever your mother was kind of doling out to you in bits and pieces. Right, right. And mm. the same thing is, wow. she didn't, I mean, she didn't know any of his siblings. She didn't know any of his siblings or anything like that. And his name was so common. I like to share this one funny story. Um, his name was so common that she had been looking for him to find him for me because she saw the hurt that I was dealing with and having him there. And she said that one time uh, social services contacted her back and said, we think we found him. And so she rushed down into the social service office, like, you know, hoping to find my dad. And she said, they bring, they bring out a white man. Chances are it's probably like, not uh, your dad <laughs> Yeah, and, and so, but the funny thing is, they were trying to convince her, well, this, this fits your description. No, that's, you're missing something critical in there. He's, he's not black, <laughs> he's not white. So, that was funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, wow. I changed my name and all kind of stuff, but, but I don't want to give 
the whole story to the listener, they definitely got to get Finding Chris, my father, the book. But I will tell you all, I ended up finding my father in the way that I met him and found Well, hold him. on. Well, we're we're going to hold that. We're going to hold that for just a bit because I want to turn to your motivation for writing this book. And then we'll get into, I know, you know, that you do a lot of social type work now, but let's get into, so what was the motivation? When did you say, well, you know what? Uh, I've got to write a book about this. What was that motivation? Okay, so we know that you went through the story, but what was the motivation for writing this book? You know, that, and that's a, that's, a, that's a great question because when I met my dad, I didn't write the book right away. I had no thoughts on writing the book. Um, didn't had didn't know anything about, about writing a book, and all of a sudden, I was uh, you know, just just sitting there, and I was thinking about the crazy turn of events that happened when I was um, you know, meeting my dad and going through the whole thing, and so I'm like, I gotta I gotta sit down and try to jot this, and um, so I I sit down, I'm like, all right, let me sit back and try to you know write this write this down. And so I'm like, I don't know the first thing about writing a book. So I just started writing it like old school, like how you write a um, paper in class. And I'm like writing the outline. I'm going off the top of the head and everything like that. And I started putting this book together. I'm telling my dad about it. And he's like, you don't know nothing about writing. I'm like, but I got I got to write this book because I feel like it's going to help me. be ther- It's going to be therapeutic for me and maybe somebody else. But that's it. That's the only thought I had, maybe somebody else. It was more so trying to help me work through some things I was dealing with. And I wrote the book, and um, after that, I didn't even really push it like that, but it started getting in the hands of a lot of people, and people were like, I want you to come tell your story. Not only was I not a writer, but I wasn't a motivational speaker. Like, I was very outgoing, but I didn't do the motivational speaking thing. So I was, like, turning stuff down, but they were like, come on, come speak, and I would just share the story. But when I share a story like this, and it's my own story, I'm so passionate you know, with this thing that, like, it was, I was started captivating audiences and people were standing up testifying, guys and girls, you know, older and younger were testifying. The audience was growing and people were, like, crying. And, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And, and it was one particular time is when I realized it was not no longer about me. It probably never was about me. You know, it's probably just, you know, well, not probably for sure it was God using me as a vessel. But um, I was in Newport News, Virginia, speaking. And this guy stood up with a hardened face, and he was like, uh, you know, I just got out of jail not too long ago, and I, I don't never stand up and speak in front of people, and I never cried in front of anybody. But he was like, um, you know, you got me, like, in tears over here. And he was like, I don't know my father. And the reason I've been going out of jail and, and dealing with gangs and violence and anger and all this other stuff um, is because I don't know my dad. You know, I need a dad there. And then we talked. The whole audience was crying. Um all people stood up and shared their testimony. And that day I said, okay, I, I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, okay, this is no longer about me. Um, I said, this is about me helping other people. And I was so glad that I wrote the book at that point. So that became my motivation. Even though the book was already written, my motivation was now to uplift people that are dealing with fatherlessness. And it just so happened that same day I met these two guys that said that they do stage plays. And I, I turned them down three times. I was like, I don't know anything about stage plays. But they kept pushing and pushing and pushing. They bought my book. We started working on a cast and script, I mean, a script and, and uh, doing casting. And I'm looking like, where is God trying to take me here? Because all I wanted to do was write a book for myself. <laughs> and next thing you know, it's like 
I'm going all over the place traveling. I got a pending stage play. Um, I knew I didn't have any money for a stage play, but we were like, we're going to put it on somehow. We put it on in Tidewater area of Virginia, and we had, uh, like, you know, a small response. I wanted to bring it back home to where I'm from, which is Richmond, Virginia. And uh, I brought it back home, and no money to advertise or anything. And next thing you know, man, this thing just took a life of its own. Like, we sold, we sold our shows. Um, people started donating to it, like nonprofit organizations started donating to it. Um, you know, uh, public figures, I mean, private donors. And we had money to make it travel. Um, we got it on the news. NBC called me. Uh, what is it, CBS, ABC. I did two on ABC. And so I just started getting, like, exposure. And we and just started blowing up. And then um, more blessings were coming because people were coming up to me after my show saying, I'm dealing with that right now. Like, young adults, it was um, older adults. I've even, to answer your question about my mom earlier, here's another example. I had some ladies that had to be in their 40s, uh, late 40s, maybe early 50s, that came to me and said, listen, I have a son or daughter right now, and um, I have not told them about their, their, their father somebody different than who they know. And, I mean, they were way older than my mom. You see what I'm saying? And I said, you haven't told wow. me? Why not? And they're telling, they're telling me their reason why not. And so I immediately go in because it just hits my heart. I'm like, listen, you got to tell them. I don't care how old he is, 13, 18, 20. We go back and forth about it because they tell me their reason for not telling him. And I said, man, end of the day, it's selfish. Like, you got to let them know. And so I exchanged numbers with them, and they contacted me back. And, like, they contacted me back and said, since talking to you and seeing your play and reading your books, I went ahead and told my son. And, you know, and they keep keep up with me. And, then, you know, some of them have said, you know, now my son is so glad. I told him he was mad at first, but now he's met his dad. And, you know, another lady told me he's met his family. Um, I mean, it's just been so many breakthroughs and blessings from me sharing my story. To even going further, I mean, that's just a few testimonies, but they, they happen in the droves every time I have a stage play um, or I do a motivational speaking to the point that I just knew it was no longer about me at that point. It was more so about the masses and, the pe- and you know, all the things that's happening nowadays in society, um, just the elevated incarceration and the violence and everything, you usually can send that back to a big factor being no father in the home, right? I mean, they always, if you do the research and get the statistics, there's always no father, no father in the home. So we can actually, I'm glad like Obama has that, you know, uh, my brother's cheap when things going on, the fatherhood initiative, because that's where it starts. If we can fix that area in the home, a lot of this stuff will just get filtered out and it, it goes towards a, in a more positive direction. You know what I mean? Exactly. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, I like when I've read that um, you referred to it as the father factor. So that's what it sounds like you were just yeah. explaining, but feel free to tell everybody exactly what the father factor is a little bit more. Yeah, it's a, I call it the father factor, or I call, I, uh, it's actually referred to as the father wound. But it is the father factor because it's, it's usually the common denominator of a lot of these uh, these negative traits that people are possessing, um, negative symptoms, these um, reactions people are having. If you were to take any of them, one out of every three five, um, young adults has grown up without a father, especially in the African-American community, the one out of every three. So we want to narrow it down to that. Um, and there's no disciplinary in the home. There's nobody to, for a male or female to learn from, a male to model himself after and a female is supposed to give her heart up to her father first. If there's no father there, she has no 
you know, male role model there. And therefore, um, if you look up the, the symptoms of a young female not having a father in the home, it's usually like promiscuity, you know, maybe not trusting men. Or on the flip side, um, like giving almost every man your heart because you're looking for your father. You know, so things like that. Um, not not having a high value, high self-esteem because of that. And for males, if there's no father in the home, you know, they may go towards gangs. They may go towards violence. They harbor a lot of anger like I did. They harbor a lot of anger, and they take it out in other ways. They may, you know, uh, have domestic violence on their girlfriends. Um, you know, so there's so many symptoms that all resort back to the father's factor um, and the father wound. And so I say wound because a lot of people think that it's just young people. But that's, that's so incorrect. It's, it's millions of adults that are out here, 30, 40, 50, 60s, just walking around with a father wound. And their wound is that I never had my father at home, whatever the case may be. Some of them are still looking. I still want him there. I want to know why he left. Why did he put his hands on my mom? Why did he do this? Why did he do that? And they still need that answer. Now, if you ask them, they're not going to tell you that because they don't know how to express that. A lot of them say, I don't need him, I don't need him, I just need my mom. <clears throat> but yes, you do. You need him. And, and if you don't need him, you need you need some questions answered. Even those questions so, answered may help you. And so so yeah, it sounds yeah. like you're talking about closure uh, for these uh, the children of, of of these fatherless homes, if you will. Well, um, okay. Yes, and, and these children turn into adults. With no closure. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is just interesting, I have to tell you. Wow. All right. Well, hold on. If, if folks out there, if you've just joined us, you're listening to the Hair Radio Morning Show. Uh, I'm Kerry Hines. Now, I have with us today, he's the author of Finding Chris, My Father. And uh, it's a book out that speaks to um, the lack of. Uh, a father in being in the homes and I'm sure how it influences the children or the whole family and all of the dynamics, I'm sure. Uh, so this has been turned into a play. Um, you started the trek uh, to look for your own father, Chris, of course, um, which is the title finding Chris, my father. Um, and yeah. we haven't gotten to the part yet about you finding him. So we're, we're going to get to that in just a moment. But what led you to, or how did this lead you to the work that you do currently with the social work? Um, you know, it, I, I feel, it feels like it was indirectly because I, I like to joke with people, tell them that I have so many different degrees and none of them go together and none of them are in the work that I do now. So it, I, I just feel like it's, it's, uh, it's, a divine, it's, it's a divine intervention that I end up in this field because I have an undergrad degree in mass communication. I have a master's degree in education, and I have an executive graduate certificate in business management. So none of the three are the same. And, you know, when you grow up, they teach you to get your degrees in the same thing. Um, right. Now, fortunately, I was, able to make, I, was forced, I was able to make them all work out now with what I do. But at first, I didn't, I didn't have any degree in this field. And I was just working odd jobs here and there, and all of a sudden I started mentoring part-time. And when I started mentoring mm-hmm. part-time, the mentoring was just so fulfilling working with these young adults. And um, as I, as you mentor, you know, you build rapport with them, I started noticing that none of the kids that I mentored had any problems yet. Not only that, they were coming from group homes, foster homes. You know, some of them had, may have had a mental health issue 
um, or something like that. So I started, and it started just, you know, of course, touching my heart because it's what I went through. And, um, you know, I, I did thing, I took a full-time job as a life skills coach um, working with young adults. And all of these guys I worked with were great young adults, I mean, full of potential, but they had so much baggage. And a lot, and, and it was that father factor. I can't tell you one of them that had a father, to be honest with you. I mean, I remember them all. Or if they had a father, the father was putting their hands on them or you just being a horrible example of a father, and they were mimicking that. So I just started to really develop a passion for working with these young adults. And um, I said, man, it's crazy I don't have a degree in this, but I really want to pursue this. So I just started, I said, look, I just took it to God. I'm like, if you can get me, you know, whatever job I was applying to, I know the degree is asking for this, but I have this heart and this passion. If you can get me in an interview, I'll kill it. And I go in an interview, and they're like, you don't have a degree in this, but I just I have the experience. And I would get an interview, get the job, and I started working. I worked at the Richmond Department of Social Services. I worked as a life skills coach. I worked as a counselor. I worked in benefits. Uh, I mean, I just worked with youth and families for a long time, even to the point now I'm, um, I worked at the Mayor's Youth Academy. The Mayor of Richmond has a youth academy for young adults to help them to be on the right track. I was a counselor there. I worked at prison. Uh, I worked at uh, as a CEO. I worked as a counselor, in, a youth counselor in a prison. I mean, I've worked with so many different young adults and adults that all, as I talk to them and as I have counseling group sessions, guess what? The father factor is a common denominator every time. And I don't even mean for it to happen like that, but it's just a real fact in life. And so now I work for the Division of Child Support Enforcement. And, of course, I hope you can guess the father not being there and is just a huge um, thing with the Division of Child Support Enforcement as well. And I want to be clear, it's not always a father because we have plenty of non-custodial parents that are mothers, that are uncles, and, you know, aunts and everything. But just to, to keep it all the way real with you, though, it's, it's the highest percentage is fathers not being there. And so I have a passion for it. So it, just, it falls in line with everything that I do. My degrees actually work now because mass comm is just all about basically, you know, speaking and communication. I do that all the time now with my work I do with my books and plays. Um, you know, business, I have my own LLC that I do educational workshops. I sell books. I do my plays. So the the, um, the business management piece is there. And then the master's in education, I educate people all the time. I work in, you know, schools and things like that when I speak. So now I've been able to tie all my degrees in together which is a beautiful thing because that's something I was asking God for for a long time. Now we have the time in together. So, you know, it's been great. Well, I'll tell you, I like when I read uh, VEW Enterprises, uh, VIEW Enterprises, I would imagine. I love it. I thought it was such a great name. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Yes, as an entrepreneur. Now, uh, just to go back just a little bit because I like uh, this information that you've just explained about uh, really the whole subject. But what I didn't ask you is that why do you think we have so much of this prevalent in our community where we don't have the fathers present in the homes? What do you think? I'm just curious You know, on your take on this. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say, and it will be just that. It'll be just a thing because I, I, I do not proclaim to have the answer um, and I like to just have open discussion and awareness because I don't have the answer. And I actually had somebody tell me on another interview I did recently, they would say that it goes back to slavery. 
And I said, man, you know, I didn't even think about it that far back. You know, I'm only thinking about what I see and, you know, going back to what I, you know, what I've encountered and stuff like that. But it broke it down to me saying that, you know, go back to slavery and, you know, and, and, and uh, these, these men being stripped away from the families and, you know, losing their sense of pride and things like that. And that was an interesting perspective. So in answering your question, it'll only be just a perspective of what I think. But I, so my answer to that is just that I believe that um, a lot of our men nowadays have not been taught and, and have forgotten what it's like to be king and to and to fulfill our purpose that God designed for us. And I say that to say, you know, um, God didn't design for these broken families. You know, God designed for man and woman to be in the family and and for the man to be the um, provider, the protector, and, you know, just the king in the home. You know what I mean? And I don't mean king in, in any type of, like, I, I rule everything, you know, you have no say type thing, but you know what I mean, just a king. Like, you taking care of the home, you making sure everybody's straight. The kids straight, you praying over the family, things like that. And so when, when, when men started to stray from that role that is designed for them, now everything breaks apart. Keep in mind, it's just my opinion, but I believe that everything breaks apart. So now you've got these amazing women that have to step up outside of their role and have to play both sides. The, the woman now has to play father and definitely be the mother. So they're designed to be nurturing and do all those great things, but they're not designed uh, to be the top provider like a man is supposed to be. They're not designed to be the, the protector like a man is supposed to be. Now, they do a great job at it, and they raise kings, you know, even like me. I was raised by a woman at this. But um, the thing about it is, is like, imagine if it would stay like the way God designed it. Imagine if that happened. I just don't think we have a lot of these incarcerated brothers. I don't think that we have these, these, these guys on unemployment and these, you know, guys in the project and these guys doing, committing different types of crimes. If we had men that were stepping up and being who God designed them. And so that's where I am with it. I just want to, I, I want to raise kings. I want to let these men know that, hey, listen, before you think you ain't nothing and before you think this all I'm ever going to be is, you know, whatever you're doing, this crimes or whatever, you actually are designed to be much more, but 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 nobody told you, you know what I mean. Nobody set an example for you to know that you're supposed to be that. And the only way I knew it is that my mom told me, and then my faith in God and matured. But I didn't have nobody to take my eyes upon and see that. You know what I mean. I had my grandfather that was there. He was a great example. So I think he helped too. But he died when I was younger. But I didn't have a father that was supposed to be there. To say, hey, son, don't do that. That's leading down the wrong path. Hey, do this, do that. Look at me. And, you know, so I, and I, I don't think it's just fatherhood either. To, to go on a little different subject, I think it also is about relationships too. A lot of men can't really perform in the proper way in a relationship, and that's why we, we cheat and we do this and that. Because um, if we imagine if we had that father in the home that not only did those things I spoke about earlier as far as protecting, but imagine if, you a young man, and you see your daddy treating your mom like a queen, like he holding doors, he, you know, getting her what she needs, he take care of her when she hurt him, he talk to her, he communicate with her. He only has one wife, one woman. When you grow up, you're going to want to mimic that. But on the flip side, in reality, we got a lot of guys out there not being home, you know what I'm saying, and you know what I mean? They got different women that they're bringing in and out of their life. Sometimes even they tell their son, hey, don't say nothing. You know what I mean? So just, I mean, just keeping it real. So imagine you got that. That's what you see. Then you're going to exemplify that 
negative characteristic later on, and then you out here being a player just like Papa was. You know what I'm saying? So it all stems back to that father factor, factor, but it's not just about fatherhood. It's about what example are we setting. And, and, and it's basically mm-hmm. based on what our parents set. You see what I'm saying? So I yes, completely. Wow. Well, Vincent, I have to ask you now, if someone, let's take a look, if someone is going through the same situation that you've been through, and as you mentioned earlier, we did talk a little bit about this, but what advice would you give to someone now who is finding out that someone who they thought was their father uh, now is not their father? Um, Speak to that a little bit, uh, if you would. Uh, just what advice would you tell that person? What would the the Vincent now say to the Vincent then? Uh, that that actually happened to me. So I'll give you a real example. That happened. I went to my alma mater, North State, in April, and I spoke on the panel. And um, I spoke about my story, finding so my father. And this kid came up to me. He waited in line for a long time, and uh, he had a screw face on when he came up to me. And he started talking to me. He was like, man, your story is so real. Like, you actually have lived what I'm currently going through. And I had to elaborate. And he said, I don't know my father. You know, and, and I just found out who he is. I found him on Facebook. And he said, I reached out to him, but he, he, he doesn't want to talk to me. And his face just got tighter and tighter as he was talking to me. And I said, well, first of all, I said, you got to release that, that anger that you got going on right now. He's like, I'm not angry. I said, no, nah, it's on your face. I see it. And so I said, you got to release this anger. He's like, well, he should have did this and this. I said, look, you know I know. You know I know. Because I was you at 16. I was very angry. And you couldn't even mention father to me because I snapped. And so he kind of loosened up, and we talked. And, I, and he was like, I don't think I need to meet him. I said, I only reached out. I said, but see, this is the thing. You reached out because you do need to meet him. It's something inside of you that yearns to hear from him. I told him, I said, you know what, your outcome may not be as great as mine was, just realistically speaking. I said, he could be a bum, or he could just be dead. He could be, you know, a regular guy. You just never know. But the thing is, you still need to hear from him and, and, and have that time to dialogue with him because of that closure piece that you mentioned earlier. Even if you meet him and he says straight up, I don't want nothing to do with you, it's going to hurt, but you at least got an answer from him. Or, or you might meet him and he said, oh, my God, I never knew about you. You see what I'm saying? So when I told him all of that, he was nodding and listening, and, and it was breaking walls down as I was telling him. And he said, I never thought about it like that. I said, right. And when I was 16, nobody broke it down to me like that. But I now know, as an older gentleman now, I know that there's always another side to the story. It don't mean the side is great, but I'm just saying you need to hear from him. I said, listen, reach out to him, remove that animosity, find a way, whether it be you know, pray to whoever you believe in or just go to a quiet place. But remove the animosity so you can't come to him with that because then he's going to turn away. And I was like, you got to also remember, too, he might be feeling guilty as well. Don't think he's just staying away because he's staying away. He might say, I messed up in the first five years, but now it's already been five years gone. I might as well stay away another five because I feel so guilty. I wasn't there for the first five. I just said, see, you got you to ask him why. You know what I mean? You got you to gotta hear the answer from him. And, um, you know, he, he was against it at first, but as I kept talking, me and him exchanged number two. This is real stories. And he kept texting me pretty to give me updates. But you know his most recent text? This is no lie. Hand to God. He said, he said, Vincent, I just want to keep in touch with you like I told you I would. He said, I'm going to meet my dad at this um, next week or something like that next week. He said, I'm kind of nervous, but I'm excited too because we talked on Facebook. 
I let him talk. I didn't come at him like in a negative way. And now I'm about to meet him for the first time. And he said, I would never even go to meet him had I not met you. And so my advice to young people that are dealing with this is that, you know, you got to face your fears. you got to at least try to have an adult conversation with this person, even if you're mad at them or whatnot. you gotta just, you got to hear, have open communication with them. I think it's going to help as far as the closure. It's going to help with their anger. And it's not always anger. Sometimes it's just confusion. It's going to help with their, those question marks floating around your head. Who is he? Well, what did he do? Why did he walk away? Why did he say? And on the real, it might have been something, you know, your mom did. See, there's so many different variables to this that you can't just go on what your mom said. You can't just go on what your thoughts are. You got to get all the different sides. So that's what I well, would think. Well, I think, sure. Thank you very much. Now, I think uh, this is a great point for us to kind of go back to your story. So you had been searching and searching. Um, you know, you were told that your the person you thought was your father all this time was not your father, and uh, he was uh, incarcerated, this person you thought was your father, and you had all kinds of uh, feelings of frustration for different levels and so forth and so on, and you found out your mother had told you uh, what turned out to be uh, something false a time or two uh, regarding uh, the person you thought was your father. Um, right. wh- how did it all come to be that you actually uh, moved closer to discovering Chris? Your um, father. Well, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was actually by happenstance. Um, and, you know, this is kind of like the climax in the book, really, but it was like happenstance. I would well, don't don't give us the real book. ending of the book. <laughs> Do not give us the ending of Finding Chris, My Father, because we want to pick up the book. So we're right. we're going to, yeah, we're going to park it when we get real close to that point, because I want to make sure everybody gets this book, uh, including myself. I think it's a... Uh, a great idea. It's a great subject, and we'll talk more about it. But I'll let you finish because I, I really like this idea. Yeah. So, and I'll stop right before that. So, what happened is like you know, I graduated from college, and I'm just going on with life. Like I go get my undergrad degree, I get my master's, and I'm I'm doing what I call masking, which is where like I'm able to put on this mask, like everything's fine, and you know, it's possibly going great. You know, career and degree and whatnot, piece is missing. But I I keep in mind we had no information. I literally didn't hear anything about, you know, a Chris or anybody at that point um, from, you know, graduating undergrad to, you know, in my later later 20s. And, um, like I said, I don't want to give away the story, so this is why I have to stop it. But I ended up, I will just tell you this, I ended up uh, meeting him. But when I tell you the story, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's just so unbelievable. Y'all have got to get the book finally. Chris, my father, I'm telling you. Um, now, how do we get the book? Um, well, you can get it on Amazon.com. So you just go to Amazon and, um, you know, you can type it, find it, it's my father. It's on Kindle and paperback. Um, it's also I mean, on a lot of sites, you know, it's on BarnesandNobles.com or things like that. But Amazon is probably the most popular place everybody goes to. So it's there. Um, you know, you can definitely follow me on uh, social media because I, I update everything on there. It's links to the book. Um, excerpts and play stuff, I mean, motivational speaking engagement. And so I'm on um, Facebook. My name is Vincent Ellis White. I'm on Instagram, Vincent Ellis White, and Twitter is Vince Ellis White. Um, so definitely follow me on there, but get the book on Amazon.com, man. Find the Chris. I guarantee you love it. 
I want to tell you, too, not only is it a travel stage play and God just keeps expanding my audience, but I recently had a Hollywood producer take a strong interest in it and option my book. And what that means is that they say they want to turn the book into a stage play. So my book has been optioned, um, I mean, I'm sorry, not stage play, excuse me, into a film. So my book wow. has been optioned to be turned into, into a motion picture. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm still taking options, though. So, I mean, I'm always looking for another option to see what you know, the best offer is and whatnot. But I was just shocked because I never in my dreams would I imagine a story that I looked at as a bad thing would turn out to be blessing so many people and creating awareness. But also, it can ultimately become a film which can hit the theaters and bless the masses and things like that. So it's just a beautiful thing, man. It sounds like a very beautiful thing. And on that note, I have to say, what in closing might you share with the folks out there uh, for whatever they're going through, Mr. Vincent Ellis White? What would you say to folks? Because apparently, uh, and you've been dealing with a lot of families on so many different issues, and usually that's relating to this, uh, the father factor or fatherless factor, if you will. What, uh, what kind of advice would you give overall or what's your closing thought on, on, on folks who are going through things these days as it relates to the family? Yeah, no problem. My closing thoughts would just be, man, it, it's really about uh, having hope and, and being encouraged and being uplift. Um, you know, man, life, life, I ain't let nobody tell you life is easy. Like, life is tough. We go through something that we think is the toughest thing in the world. Then six months later, we go through something even tougher. So we got to have hope. We have to be encouraged, be uplift. The thing that saved me was everything from my faith to having mentors. Uh, you know, I was in the Boys and Girls Club. I had some strong, positive, you know, male role models there. But now, even as an older man, when I get then when I get down, I can have positivity around me. So I tell everybody, man, no matter what you're going to through, find somebody that find some people, some positivity that you can just surround yourself with, just like a big hug, like and surround yourself with positivity, people that's going to lift you up. Because, you know, if you're already on the verge of breaking, you don't need to be around on negativity. I stay around people that lift me up. So I would, that will give you that hope that you need. Um, you know, hopefully if you're a person of faith, man, just go, go to that, let that faith build and understand that, you know, whatever the enemy has meant for bad, God can turn around for good. And that's just really what I float on right there. Like I always think about it. I say, oh, my God, this situation is so bad. And that's what I'm thinking about at the time. But then, like, a year or two later, I'm looking back, and it's just that situation turned into something so good. And I'm looking back, like, you know, how did that even happen? But if I never had hope, I don't know that I would have got there. So anybody that's listening, no matter if you're going through your father not being there, your mother putting your hands on you, everybody's on drugs in your family except you, you don't have no money, no car, whatever is going on, understand that that's a valley. It's only for a moment. And that moment could be 20 years. But I'm just saying it's only for a moment you need to have hope, be encouraged, and understand that you can and will get out that situation, uh, have faith, and surround yourself with the right people, uh, connect with the right people, and, you know, you're going you're gonna to have a breakthrough and get out of that situation. You're not designed to be in that turmoil forever. And so, you know, I believe that you'll all get out of it as long as you have faith and have hope. Wow. Well, on that note... I want to thank Mr. V- yes, on that note, I want to thank Mr. Vincent Ellis White. Vincent, thank you so much for being with us on the Hair Radio Morning Show. Just your message, uh, getting out there, 
you are transforming folks' lives today. So thank you so much. And again, the book is Finding Chris, My Father. Uh, it's a play. Uh, it's going to be out there. You're going to be just, uh, you can get it off Amazon.com and, and so many other places. And we're just so excited to have you with us. And we want you to come back and let us know, uh, continue to, to let us know how you progress in reaching folks out there with your message. Thank you. I appreciate it. You having me um, on your show, and I appreciate every listener that's listening. Um, you know, I hope that I was able to motivate everybody. Once again, go get my book, Finding Chris, My Father, on Amazon.com. Also, if any of your listeners are in the New York City area, I'll be in New York City um, on several different outlets from ABC to News to doing, you know, some talk shows. Um, I'll be in New York City, uh, I think, June 7th through the 11th. Um, so you'll see me on a couple shows there. Um, just follow me on social media to see where I'm going to pop up at. But I appreciate everybody. I definitely appreciate you, sir. Thank you very much. You got it. Vincent, I'm going to have you to remain on the line. And, uh, folks, I'm going to talk okay. to you guys. We're going to uh, – we'll be right back. So uh, just stay with us. There's a lot more of the Hair Radio Morning Show to come. Stay with us, everybody. You're listening to the Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hot.
difficult for me to talk about myself. I'm sorry. I hope that you will. Did you ever make it out of that town where nothing happened? It's no secret that the both of us are HairNationExpo.com, and you can find a lot of great information there. And we have three days of activities planned. It's going to be a wonderful weekend. You can um, purchase a one-day ticket, also a three-day pass. We have workshops, exhibitors, competitions, special celebrity guests, as well as hair industry stars. So um, you can check out the website and carry you want yes. to share some things with us? Well, yes, thank you, Pearl. Uh, and you really nailed it. Um, you guys want to certainly go to Hair Radio, I'm sorry, HairNationExpo.com. Got to get all the addresses correct. Uh, www.HairNationExpo, so it's three words, .com. And what happens is uh, you'll get to a wonderful scroll page. And it allows for you to see all the details. It has everything there. 
links to just about everything. So you have an opportunity to look at the hotel. Our hotel partner is Aloft Harlem, which is just footsteps away from this extraordinary building, which is footsteps away from a hundred, uh, which is footsteps away from the Apollo Theater, the same Apollo Theater. It's on the same block where we will be, and uh, we're excited about that. And also Sylvia's is like right around the corner, the restaurant. So we're going to be doing a lot of that. Uh, going to different places. We're going to have put together some hair radio tours that you guys will be able to take advantage of also. But as it pertains to the event, I think you hit it, Pearl. Uh, we're going to have exhibitions and all kinds of wonderful things you can get your shopping on. Uh, you'll be able to be part of our red carpet, uh, uh, you know, uh, entrance and all kinds of wonderful things are planned. Um, there is something we do have uh, for those who would like to have their own private uh, attendant. We have one attendant for all the VIPs. So you'll have your own VIP concierge, if you will, who will be facilitating whatever you need at the event. So if you're a VIP, if you purchase a VIP ticket, that's what you'll get. And it's good for VIP ticket is good for all the three days. So it's really fantastic. Will there be a limited number of VIP passes sold? We do have a limited number, so you got to buy early and you've got to buy right away. Because what All happens right. is uh, we don't want, we want to keep it controlled so that mm-hmm. that we can pay enough attention to every person. Mm. Okay, so it's kind of now like, you just heard it, limited yes. number, so go ahead and get that VIP pass. Exactly. You got that right, Pearl. Because what happens is, the uh, you're gonna. It's kind of like you know how it is when you're flying on an airplane and you're in first class and you're seated right up front and you have a your own personal flight attendant who only Mm -hmm. sees you know caters to you. Well, that's what this experience is going to be similar to because you're going to be seated at the very front of the event. At the very wow. the stage area, and then what happens? Um, and you have your own attended person who'll be able to facilitate things, so they can help you with um, getting things, with being seated, with information about the show. Um, we also may tie into the booklet, the magazine booklet that's being distributed at the event. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to advertise, guys out there. You can advertise in that on the cover and the inside. Uh, all kinds of wonderful exposure for you guys, like in ridiculous ways. So this is really just amazing. Um, I love it. Me too. It's really it's going to be extraordinary. And we're tying into some of the charities as well. There's about uh, two or three different charities that we'll be kind of like, um, you know, uh, focusing on as well. So I'm really I'm really kind of excited about it. I think it's going to be fantastic. And we are planning it to the T. Yes, we are. It's going to be a great weekend. It really is. Yes. So I'm. All right. We're back live. You're listening to the all new Hair Radio Morning Show. It is Wednesday morning, November 4th, 2015. It's before 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm Carrie Hines. With me, of course, is Queen Goddess. 
newly cemented co-host out of Miami, Florida, via New York. Queen Goddess, what's the weather like down there today in sunny Miami? Oh, oh, you know Miami has the best weather ever, not to brag or boast. It's 81 degrees today. 81. Wow. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just always so warm down there. Well, it's you know partly we have a little bit. We get rain really? every day, which is good. Yeah, we need the rain. No rain, no food. No. This is true. Well, what mm-hmm. happens, uh, we have a little bit of the sunshine from down there in New York. Mm-hmm. We have it. Uh, it's going to be up in the 70s, I think, today and for a few days here. So this is unusual for our neck of the woods in this time of the year. It's already normally started to get really chilly. And at night, it's still gets, you know, a bit chilly. Uh, but we're happy for any kind of reprieve from the, you know, the, the winter uh, storms and the winter cold. Uh, you know, I'll take any sunshine any day over that. So we're excited. Mm-hmm. You know, with uh, the fall and the winter comes new beginnings as well, not just spring. So it's a great time to get caught up to do some wonderful indoor projects. I love to write. Um, so it's time to work on my next uh, project. And uh, and I'm real happy about that. Absolutely. So stuff. Now, listen, I wanted to turn to some hair talk today. And we mm-hmm. are, first of all, let me just go back a little bit and remind everybody what's going on today. Uh, we're really, really excited. And we must first. Uh, send out shout out congratulations to the one and only Annette and Blackwell. Now, Annette Blackwell, you just heard on the Hair Radio Morning Show, she did a great interview with us well, a little while ago. And we're going to get it back on in just a few minutes because we really want mm-hmm. to uh, show how very proud we are and how much we wish her all the best in her new role as Ms. Mayor. What do you think, Queen Goddess? I, I think it's fabulous and it's awesome and amazing that she won. I mean, her interview on the show was amazing, how she discussed all the things that she was concerned about in the city of Ohio. Shout out to Ohio. I have family members there. It's a great place. And they have a great, amazing mayor that really cares and wants to do amazing things for her city. I think it's just That's wonderful, right. and she really, she really cares. She's really sincere. Yes. She has a lot of sincerity. Absolutely, and that is what we're talking about. So we send her our shout-outs and all the good thoughts we can channel together here on the Hair Radio Morning Show. So uh, yeah, we'll keep you posted on that. Uh-huh. Right, exactly. So we'll you know, keep you guys out there posted as we kind of go forward. Um, and 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 we will get on that interview. If you missed it earlier, we're gonna kind of play it today, and um, maybe in just a few minutes, about eight o'clock this morning. So in our third and final hour of the day, we'll get uh, the Annette uh, Blackwell interview aired, so that you guys can hear it. Uh, again, she talks about things that she wants to accomplish in her town. So go, Miss Mayor. Uh, now yes. I'm to some hair talk uh, today. Uh, very interesting with uh, what's you know with the whole process of interlocking and you know we're going to get into that a little bit and we'll but first mm-hmm. let me just say thank you 
for those of you who uh, follow me on Instagram, I'm under Heinz Carey personally, and that's H-I-N-E-S-K-E-R-R-Y. We've got quite a few pictures there uh, that you can see of uh, my journey uh, to locks, if you will. So, um, you know, I just appreciate Queen Goddess who sent me some wonderful products all the way to uh, rush them right to my door in in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm so excited. So thank you so much. Uh, Just fantastic. It's wonderful. And, um, you know, talk a little bit about that, Queen Goddess. What did you send me, and uh, what's the what? It, how is it used? What's the benefits of it? Well, thank you for that question, Carrie. I sent you the ancient the Yamasi ancient herbal mist for your hair because you have now started the interlocking process with your new uh, infant locks. They're nice and short and beautiful which will grow like a wildflower. And what they need right now is a lot of moisture. Think of it as a pot with dirt and you plant a seed and you want that seed to blossom and grow into a beautiful flower. Um, You have to constantly keep it moisturized. So that's what the ancient herbal mist is. It's a combination of um, organic herbal mist infused with essential oils. So not only are you misting your hair with a, an um, herbal mist, you also have essential oils to also manifest in your hair. So you're also oiling it and um, making it nice and moist with the oils and the herbs together, which gives you a wonderful combination. And it makes your hair feel soft and nice and wonderful. And also it smells so good because with my products, I give my client the opportunity to pick their own essence. And what I mean by essence, your own fragrance of smell, how you would like to smell, like lemongrass, lime, coconut lime, peppermint. Uh, We have some of the uh, fruit flavors. We have strawberry. We have juicy mango. Some of my clients totally love vanilla, lavender. So you can pick your own essence. So did you like the essence, the smell that I put in yours, Carrie? No, I didn't like it. I loved it. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Great job and good stuff. Now tell me, how can folks find these products? Well, folks can find these products if they simply go to www.happyhappy.com the number two, the word B-E, nappy, N-A-P-P-Y, dot com. Okay, so happy to be nappy, dot com, and it's spelled B-E, and also with the digit two, so numeral two. Okay, I am very excited for that. That is fantastic. And folks out there, let us know what you like. You can, of course, um, get back to Queen Goddess right here on the Hair Radio Morning Show. And Queen Goddess, we're going to get you guys set up on Ready Stylist as well. So, folks, you can book on the go and uh, link up mm-hmm. with Queen Goddess when you schedule for service down in the Miami, Florida area. So we're real excited about that. Um, it's really nice. I love being able to talk about Ready Stylist and be able to put it out there. And it's a nationwide service. It's the country's first 24-hour hair care service. So we're all linked yeah. together. 
That's what this is all mm-hmm. about. It's like hands across America. Look at it as right. hands across nation. America. Right. Hair nation, exactly, Absolutely. which is our other yes. event coming up. We just got a lot of wonderful stuff going on. And I'm also working on, you know, folks always want to know, what, Terry, what are you working on now? Um, you know, I've created um, every single event. Uh, folks, someone just asked me yesterday, I was surprised. But they're like, well, did you do, uh, did you create the essence? Of course. Who are we, our team at Hair Radio, this is what we do. We are promoters of the hair care industry. Let me be very clear. We have created all of our platforms, everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Absolutely. what kind of has put us out there as leaders in the, um, you know, in the hair promotions industry. And so we're doing quite a bit, and we've got a lot. You haven't seen anything yet. This is, we're just getting our pinky toe wet. So um, mm-hmm. lots of good stuff. And, you know, just to kind of bring everybody up to speed, we were in the TV production studio yesterday. Uh, for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you'll see some of the photos uh, that we took. Uh, they had a green room. They had a nice dressing room uh, and all of that. It's really fantastic. It's actually quite beautiful there. It really is. Wow. And so we had a lot of fun. And one of our colleagues was there with me and he uh, did some interviews and stuff, and we're going to try to get some of that stuff up so you can see it real soon. So please follow me on mm-hmm. everything at Hair Radio is the handle on Twitter and uh, the Hair Radio Show on Facebook. And I think we're under Hair Radio Broadcast Network uh, for our YouTube channel. So make sure that you are really on and kind of moving with all of us on these things. And we've got some a lot of videos that will be coming out very soon. So a lot of that will be available uh, on Hair Radio on Demand.com. So um, we also have November updates. We're going to be working and loading in some new and exciting stuff um, on Hair Radio on Demand. So if you are a member, uh, this is the place to be. Uh, you know, check everything out. Occasionally you go in. You can go in daily if you like. We're also going to load in uh, some new a blog article. There's one there now by Cheryl Atkins, and uh, we're writing some new articles. I've also shared some of my recent articles. So there's a whole bunch of things that um, that are going on. And don't forget to tell them that on Facebook to join the Hair Radio Show community. Just I like totally me. agree. Yeah. Thank you very much. You can do that, and that page is Hair Radio, the Hair Radio Show. It's spelled H A I R A D I O, and then the second word, the third word. So you got the Hair Radio, and then show on Facebook. So you can search it out, find it very quickly, and then like. Oh, you can find it on our pages because we share it all the time. Ah, I love that. Thank you guys. So listen, um, more hair talk on the way. We will be checking back in with you, as promised. We're going to give you guys a little bit of a break, um, music break, that is, and we'll get on um, Annette Blackwell after that, just to kind of put her out there and kind of, you know, support her today. Congratulate her. um, Yeah, congratulate. We are really, really excited for her. And and just uh, we'll also talk a little bit later about some of the other things that are coming up on Hair Radio and some of the upcoming guests. We are working on all of that, so... We've been busy, 
and I want to thank you so much for being with us. And a lot more of the Hair Radio Morning Show to go this morning. So enjoy. Stay with us, folks. You know what? This really speaks to, uh, this speaks to Annette's success. Uh, We should call her Miss Mayor now. So uh, stay with us, everybody. Uh Right on.
You're listening to the Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines. Now, we have a very special guest with us today. She's from the world of politics. Now, she is running for mayor in her area, in her town, actually. It's called uh, Maple Heights in Maple Heights, Ohio. The Hair Radio Morning Show rolls out a very special welcome to Ms. Annette Blackwell. Good morning, Annette. Good morning. Yes. Well, first of all, I want to thank you so much for being with us. We know how very busy you are. Now, um, you have to tell us, first, tell us a little bit about uh, Maple Heights, Ohio, uh, you know, for the folks who are outside of the area. Oh, sure. Maple Heights is a a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. We sit in a county that most people cannot pronounce. It's an Indian name, Cahoga. Okay, no, you're right about that. (laughs) (laughs) About 23,000 residents. And as of the most recent uh, numbers, it's a suburban city that had been historically Italian, but it's almost 72% African-American, as we mm-hmm. say. Okay. Now, I have to say, and uh, in full disclosure, I had an opportunity to come and stay there for a little bit in uh, Maple Heights, Ohio. And I have to say, um, I thought it was a beautiful area, a beautiful suburbanish kind of area. It had a wonderful feel, and the folks are just fabulous. So we're going to get into all of the other uh, concerns that, uh, you know, that I'm sure you will be addressing uh, throughout the interview. But um, what I could, uh, my takeaway was that it is just a community uh, that is full of folks who uh, love the area and they're just friendly. And uh, we have to talk of, you know, we're going to talk on some business things, but I just mm-hmm. thought uh, it's based on that alone, uh, it's the place to be. And I, I can't imagine, you know, um, you know, any other thing besides folks coming there and supporting your your bid and, and the area. So, Annette Blackwell. I hear you say that. Oh, <laughs> that well, that's not the opinion, <laughs> But it's not the popular opinion today about me. Oh. And that is because, wow. like many suburban communities, I don't, it, um, it always is a little frustrating and disappointing to hear people isolate Maple Heights as if something here is going on that's not going on in some suburb in some other part of the country, or the world, for that matter. Uh, It's a city that's been uh, affected by uh, the recession, uh, high foreclosures, predatory lending, uh, uh, blight and flight, I'll just say that, Mm -hmm. Um, depreciation, appreciating home values, um, vacant industrial buildings, and all of those things, uh, high unemployment. uh, and, And I have to add, a lot of things that we're dealing with are the erosion of morality. Um, you know, our men are, are not in the homes uh, for many reasons. High incarceration, you know, it's a disproportionate number of black males that are that are in, in prison. And all of those things, social ills, if, if you will, are, have affected Maple Heights. And so when I moved to Maple Heights almost 19 years ago, it was what you described. And to a novice coming to Maple Heights, People still see that, and that's one of the things that motivated me, Casey motivated, to stay in Maple Heights, and now my current um, mission is, is, is to, to, to bring back Maple Heights, you know, just to address the erosion of quality of life and bring back those things that made it beautiful. But, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist, and I'm also a realist. And people say, you know, they'll, they'll go back 30, 40 years. We're not going to get back to what things were 30, 40 years ago because the world has changed so significantly. We have social yeah. ills that we maybe didn't have three or four years ago. 
we're, I am committed to making it as good as it can possibly be in, in this day, this present day, because I still see what you saw when you came here. Quiet, tree-lined streets. Yes. People are enthusiastic, people working yes. hard, uh, nestled away from the big city, but yet close enough to the city that we can get there in 20 minutes. Maple Heights is strategically located. And that means that we, we, sit, we sit in the middle of about four different highways to get downtown, uh, south of Ohio, Akron, where our king is from, um, all of those things. And so like some other suburbs in the city, we don't have to drive 15 minutes to find a highway. We're, 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 we sit like amongst three or four of them. Great shopping. It's very, very affordable. And it's so small that like my daughter, for instance, who's a senior at the high school, she's gone to school with the same kids since first grade. Because it's, mm. you know, it's Ellison Elementary School, and they all migrate to well, three different elementary schools from different parts of the city. But then they all mi- migrate to the same middle school and then all migrate to the high school. So it's small time li- it's small town living. Oh, uh, you know what? I have to say, and you mentioned it earlier, I think you said about 72% African-American, um, kind of like, a, you know, the, makes up the population there in your area. Uh, what can we say? It's folks have always said that, you know, our community we're not, you know, the first to be running out there to vote and all that. But what can you say that kind of, you know, will motivate those who may be a little sluggish at uh, coming out and supporting uh, the candidates? What what can you say to kind of give them that little nudge? Sure, I can tell you what I've been trying to say because if I knew yeah. exactly what to say. You know, one of the things I, I've been trying to, the message I've been trying to get across is I've been saying a couple things you, you, know, you, you throw out and you hope it all, something works, is that for the first time um, in the history of Maple, well, in the, pretty much in the history of Maple Heights, the history that I know, and so that's for the last 19 years, we've had, we have an open seat. Uh, it always had been an incumbent, and then... Um, We'd have uh, that incumbent would you know do eight years, twelve years, but the incumbent wow. would almost always almost run. This is the first time we don't have an incumbent running wow. that I am aware of in the short history I've been here, and okay. that is um, unusual. Our current mayor um, is not running again, so it's an open seat. And for that reason, we had five people initially in the race, and it's uh, after the primary that was just in September, September the eighth. It's right, we have to congratulate that on you just even making it, you know, that far. I think that's a a, a, a huge accomplishment. So that was the September eighth primary election. I had to stick my chest out. It, it certainly was because I won with significant numbers, and I was uh, like the horse at the back of the race. You know, they always got lame, like they'll, they'll never win. You know, I was the the, it's the, the, the underdog. You know, you I came in underdog. with the right. Uh huh. So we really have to applaud you for that. You're right. I I made the primary and and won the primary in a significant way. So I I thank you for that because I'm gonna take that compliment. I'm sticking my chest out. Yes. Uh, yes. Very well deserved. So tell us uh, the the I think it's the called the general election, correct? That's the November third. Yes. Uh yes. So this is where we want to get the folks out there uh, in who are in the Maple Heights, Ohio. We have lots of fans who listen to our show from all over, but particularly that area. And a shout-out to what I know in particular. I know Tina's right there, uh, who's uh, been a big supporter of yours, too, uh, Tina Hobson, and she has a radio show and all that stuff she's doing. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's been a huge supporter and just um, kind of, you know, helping you to, you know, just get out there with your message. And shout out to Kimberly also. I want to say your folks that you guys, uh, that you have helping you with your campaign. She, I yeah. can see she's doing a fantastic job, obviously. Um, yeah. So, yeah. You, now, I think we, we should talk a little bit. I really want to push and get the folks to understand why it's important that they come out to vote. And the reason that I say that, and, and we're going to then, you know, kind of backtrack a little bit and talk a little bit about, you know, where you come from and where you grew up and all of that. But right now I want to kind of just really uh, tell the folks things that they need to do to get them motivated. I think that the one thing that kind of jumps out in my mind, you know, there's been a whole bunch of civil unrest. You kind of, you know, uh, referenced it a little bit uh, at the top of the interview uh, in pockets around the country. And a lot of folks say when they think about like a Ferguson uh, where you had folks who, um, for whatever reason, they may have felt disenfranchised. They weren't part of the or weren't really connected to the voting process. Let's just call it the way it was. Um, what can you say that, you know, that folks need to understand how critical this is uh, to have a voice, to have a sure. voice well, and express I'll, I'll that? Sure. I'll say two things. Ironically, you would bring up Ferguson because there was a New York Times article that likened uh, Maple Heights. In you're terms kidding. Of, really? No. Yeah. So, you know, someone else uh, listening to the call, might, after the call, might want to go ahead and, and Google that. Oh, we will or, be Googling that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, thank but you. In, in ter- and they did that in terms of the racial, uh, the population, the mm-hmm. racial makeup of its people, and then its, its, its local government. And so it, it, it's just ironic. It's more than ironic that you would, would, would mention Isn't that once. Uh, there's already an article out there uh, comparing the two cities. But um, what I would say is, you know, it's always difficult when, when, a, when a city's population changes and inverts itself the way Maple Heights inverts itself. And you still have the people that have been here, you know, I mean, people have been here since 1950. And wow. they had a way of life. They had a way of life. Mm-hmm. That has changed. Uh, and the, it's changed in a way that's not always comfortable for them. It's changed very quickly. Um, and usually, what happens is, is, is the but the ministry. The, so, the, so the population changes, but the administration doesn't change. And so mm-hmm. there becomes a disconnect. And what we have, what we have now, people don't trust. There's, you know, there's charges that the current administration has taken money. There's so much apathy. What I hear. Is apathy. We don't have leaf collection anymore. Uh, we've got some streets in, our, in major disrepair. Schools are struggling. Um, all the things that, you know, you, you're trying to get away when you move for a better life. We're putting more money down. We're buying more expensive homes. We're moving to the suburbs. You know, that there's this impression or this vision that when you drive, you have to, there's something bigger and grander and more wonderful. That's what we signed on for. And yet, um, as we've gotten here, not a lot has changed in terms of um, the issues because the people that are coming ha- are bringing those issues. They have those issues, and when they get it, those issues don't go away. If there were, there, if children were struggling as students in the metropolitan area, they come out here and they struggle. And then that affects the entire report card of the schools here. And then people here get frustrated and say, our schools are getting bad. And they yank their kids out and they put them in private. And then we leave behind the kids that are not doing so well. So we've just created the same situation. But you just laugh right. when, when you do that. Um, and, you know, we weren't people that, you know, really took a whole lot of pride in our property. Um, that doesn't change. We've changed our address, but we bring those habits with us. 
But what I can say, and um, again, you're going to see so many um, ironics or irony in what we're talking about. I am from Selma, Alabama. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Um, yes. I came to Cleveland in 1964, and I actually am from a little town called Oroville. And Oroville is what Maple Heights is to Cleveland. Oroville is what mm. is to Selma. It's Got a suburb it. of Selma, Alabama. And so if you wanted to go to a dentist or my grandmother to get a, a fancy dress, we had to go to Selma or, or go to town. And so I am from sharecroppers, people, although slavery ended many years ago, sharecropping and its form of slavery was still going on. Summer camp for us was getting out of school Memorial Day and going out and helping on the farm and coming back Labor Day um, because my family were sharecroppers. So this movie, Selma, that came out, it's, it's, it, is, it is almost eerily just prophetic. But it would, this place I came from would come out the same year I chose this one for mayor. Isn't that that's more amazing. than, like, prophetic? Right. So that's that's a sign, of course. Selma, Alabama. That bridge that those people took that beam, right, half of my family was on that bridge. Half of them were on there. They have scars, and they can talk wow. about it like it was yesterday. A couple of my aunts, a couple of my, my dad's uh, sisters and um, his cousins, would not go. See, they wouldn't go to the movie. They wouldn't go. Wow. They said, "Why do we need to go see, pay eight dollars to go see what they we live through?" It. It was were, too emotional, yeah. and I just couldn't yeah. understand. I thought, you know, oh, you know, they all go together. They refused to go. So mm-hmm. anyone that did go, that didn't see it up close, like the family members that I'm referring to right now, mm-hmm. it was all about. It wasn't about slavery, like some like twelve years of slavery. It was about the fight to vote, fighting mm-hmm. for the right. If you saw that movie which, again, is prophetic, that would be, here's this girl from Selma running in the same year that's about voting. How could you wow. not vote right now? How could exactly. you not? Exactly. Wow. Because well, I think you really, thing, you, I'm from Selma, and then I'm running. It's you hit it on the head. You really hit <laughs> it on the head. Well, folks, if you've just joined us, you're listening to the Hair Radio Morning Show. I'm Carrie Hines, and I have a very special guest with us. She is from the world of politics. Annette Blackwell comes to us from uh, the Maple Heights, Ohio area, uh, which is right outside of Cleveland. And she is running for mayor as we speak. So she's looking for, you know, the folks out there and, you know, in her area uh, to certainly vote and get involved, uh, you know, with uh, the process uh, and, uh, you know, just uh, make your voice heard. No, I have to say this is um, quite interesting, and you're a very interesting person to talk to, uh, Annette Blackwell. Okay. I have to say, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to lay out, though, You, we, we kind of talked a little bit about it, some of the challenges um, that exist right now in uh, Maple Heights. Um, you know, we, I want to tackle some of the – what are some of the challenges? I know we spoke about education. I understand they have mm-hmm. some huge fiscal issues going on. Yeah. And um, and this is uh, – it's also important to mention that you have a commercial tax background and you are used to this whole process of, uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess I call it tax budgeting and all kinds of things. So you will have to uh, – Tell our tell our listeners a little bit more about that experience, and and some, lay out some of the challenges that are ahead for uh, that area and, and whoever's the next mayor. But we're going to say it's you. Go right ahead. Well, our challenges, our fiscal challenges, are so significant that our state auditor, the Ohio State Auditor, because we sit in, in the state of Ohio, has declared 
our city in fiscal emergency. And they have come into our city, and they are pouring over our books as we speak. And they are trying to help city officials uh, with a recovery plan, which is supposed to happen over five years. And so we don't have enough cash to pay our bills. We have laid off a significant number of city officials, city employees, I should say, not officials, but city right. employees. employees would be right. more, more appropriately stated. Right. As well as, um, so we're, we're, we're bare minimal. And I'll give you an example. We had four people working in our billing department, four to six people. Were, um, you know, we, ha- we basically don't really open to the public on, on Fridays. We're doing everything we can do to uh, weather the storm. I mentioned that we no longer have leaf collection. Um, the streets are in disrepair. And, um, you know, we, 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 we are in danger, which is really sad. We have a levy, a tax levy. Um, on the ballot in November, along with the mayoral race, for the senior center. This is where our seniors go, and they get two meals a day, and they get to interact, okay. and there's a, a bus that takes them to doctor's appointments, and just does some fun things with them. This levy doesn't pass. That lifeline, that life-sustaining center, closes. And some other human services are affected that's tied to that, our food bank. And we have a record number of people using the food bank to get through the month when, when benefits run out. So that's how serious it is. We're in fiscal emergency. We, we're not able to maintain, you know, health and human services without asking, going to the taxpayers and asking for more money. Uh, on that, since we're talking about tax, I am a 15-year commercial property tax analyst at an international tax firm. It is based in Dallas, Texas, but they have offices in every major city uh, over the uh, United States. Um, I sit in the Midwest region which means our, our regional office is in Chicago, where our VP sits. And so we have Chicago and Columbus and Cleveland and Minneapolis and Detroit. That is in the I sit in that cluster of offices. And we offer various tax services, taxes you've never heard of, forensic tax recovery, sales and use, income franchise, and I sit in the property tax consulting division. And so what we do is we reach out mainly to commercial clients, manufacturing clients, huge clients, to offer various tax services, depending on what their tax service uh, is. So what um, my particular position is, is I work with uh, several attorneys and consultants, and we take a look at huge commercial property owners. Commercial property owners, we have one um, property owner that owns 600 shopping centers, although they're headquartered in Ohio. And we, we deal with property owners that are headquartered in Ohio, their properties all over the country. Uh, Here in Ohio, there are 88 counties in Ohio, I happen to Cuyahoga, which is a name that I said people have a hard time um, pronouncing. There's 87 more, because this is a a, a Native American, I'm going to call them Indians, but Native Americans were. So a lot of the names are Indian, they're hard to pronounce. But I work in 87 others with some of them with hard to pronounce names. And what we do is every year we look at what their values, how are their values trending? Are they going up or are they going down? Because most of these huge owners, want some tax relief, especially if they're a shopping center and they've had some bankruptcy. Some of the stores are closed, especially if they have a big bank. Oh, yeah, so they're looking for some relief, any relief that you... They're looking for tax relief. They're no longer being... um, They've lost significant rent. So that's... So for the auditor, or in some parts of the country, it's assessor. Um, Here we call it an auditor, but it's really an assessor. It's saying that the property is worth, the shopping center is $6.4 million, but they've got four or five stores that have gone out of business. It's really not $6.4 million. So we had to put together a performance show them, okay, 
really is only worth $2.9 million because here's, here's loss of rent, a financial analysis, and you make that presentation to the local assessor to fight on behalf of your client to get the value reduced. So without going into a lot more detail, it is a valuation process. For residential properties, which is primarily what is here in, in Maple Heights, and what people are most upset about because they just got their valuation notice about three weeks ago. And values in 2012 because it's on a three-year cycle here in Ohio. Although for our commercial properties, we look at it every year if we can, um, just to see how it's trending. We lost about four, almost 40% of our value. So people owe more than their homes are worth underwater. Uh, the old underwater, I yeah. Lot, I do a lot of work in Florida. It happened. It was terrible in Florida. I, I was just, it was just really a, a horrible story in Florida how much people um, owed and, and what their properties dropped to in terms of val- valuation. Right. And I mean, then that we is just, just the worst values. thing in the world, just awful. Yeah, and they've dropped another 8%. So values aren't going up. They're going down. They're depreciating rather than depreciating. And for most people, their home is their biggest asset. So it's heartbreaking. Right. They're frustrated on top of not having lead service and things. Now my home isn't even worth anything, which is, you know, it's for some people, so it's the generational wealth they're hoping to leave. To, to, to keep that for their children, and now that's not worth much at all. So it's just my under, understanding how the valuation process works. There's some things we can do um, to get the values back up. Uh, and, and for residential property, look at comparable sales. we got to get the sales up. When homes are sell, if your house is worth $80,000 with the house on the street sold for fifteen, that's your average now. So you're going to average the two, and so now your house is worth, what, between fifteen and sixty. So we gotta get we gotta get sales up, values of homes up. So when they sell, we've got you know we've got some comparable sales that raise our values and not depreciate them. So it is it is a it is a long process. It's involved, but that is basically on a, on a residential um, evaluation um, process. That's that's how it's done, and we just have to get to, get our arms around that, understand how values are uh, are determined. For properties and then and begin to, to do that in our community. Well, I'll tell you something. I know that even as well from uh, just on a business level uh, to kind of, you know, retain the folks who are there, you want to keep them uh, there in the fold uh, in your area. And then you want to also bring uh, folks into your area to uh, help support your community. Uh, right. You know, and to me, so we want to make sure that you know, once you get in the door, as soon as you get your foot in the door, uh, we are going to be just right there coming out and doing everything we can to help lift that community up. And, uh, and you know, and I believe you can do it, okay? I believe you can do it. Um, and we're going to give you as much support as we can. Um, so, yeah, so now um, I do have to ask you this. The first thing that came to mind uh, when I first met you and when I heard about all of this that you're doing, what um, – I kind of have an idea because you kind of told us a little bit, uh, you know, being from uh, outside of Selma. Uh, but what really has inspired you to say, you know what, I can do this? What, where does that well, come from? Well, I'm going to give you the, the, thing, the, the gut punch that said, okay, enough. I mentioned that I work for an international tax firm. Uh-huh. And um, I'm among family, but I'm going to keep it very honest. I am the only person of color. Uh-huh. I have been the only person of color for uh, over 15 years. Wow. Uh, in my office in Cleveland, we had, we had a uh-huh. person of color in Columbus. But in Cleveland, it's just been me. I'm the only person of color. Wow. And um, 
when something happens in Maple Heights and I go in the break room, get coffee or water, they all say, boy, what's happening in Maple Heights? To the point that you almost feel ashamed, like, oh, I hope it's not Maple Heights. I don't have to go to work. It's, and it, as as, as if I'm the reporter or the expert on Maple Heights, <laughs> right. it got so bad. I, I, one, of the, one of the gentlemen I work with is an attorney, and he lives in a very affluent neighborhood that's predominantly mm-hmm. Caucasian. He took it upon himself to find me a house on her street to get me out of Maple Heights because he said, you wow. got to get out. Well, wow. I have two sons. They're, they're young black men. And at the time, uh-huh. they were, I don't know, 12 and maybe, I think they were 12 and 7. That would have been a difficult transition. But here's the thing. I like where I live. I like my neighborhood. I like Maple Heights. Uh, we have a very diverse community. I have um, Indians that live down the street. I have people from Russia that live across the street. I have a very, I, uh, I live uh, Germany. I, this is Italian. I have a very, very diverse community. I don't want to live where I am the only one and I go in the grocery store. I like, I like mixing, a mixing pot, a melting pot, if you will. So, and I chose my house because I love my house. It's a beautiful home. It's affordable. I looked all over the community. This was it for me. So, I got so tired of the kind of little jokes, if you will, about Maple Heights. And I said, you know, that's it. Darn it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to run from here. I'm going to change this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got intense. And I got a little, you know, like, not mine. I'm going to find something else to talk about kind of thing. So that's really what got me going. And then as I conclude, both of my sons, my sons are 32 and 26. My younger son just moved back with this little girl who's one, live in Maple oh. Heights. And so wow. I have four. My oldest son has three boys, and my, like I said, my younger son has a, a little girl. I have four grandchildren that live in Maple Heights. You've got roots Both there. My, it means my something family, to you. My family, the people mm-hmm. that are super, super important to me live in this city. And I don't want wow. people talking about it the way they're talking about it. You know, the other, the other thing is, is yes, I, I, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. I would love to hear. The last thing is, uh, for four years, I've been the coordinator for the uh, Maple Heights City School Parent Academy. And that is an effective skill-building program. And this program is geared towards blacks, and there's a, one for Hispanics because we parent from a different place. And I've been teaching that program. It is a um, it is a consulting position I have with the schools. And every year, praise God, they renew my contract and ask me to come back. I probably graduate over 100 parents um, from that. And I hear a lot of them have moved here to have a better life, and they're struggling. You got women working two and three jobs to be out here. They're trying to make it happen. Uh. Men putting two and three jobs together trying to make it happen. They wanted something. They wanted a yard for their children. They wanted a place to park the car. They wanted a park they could walk to. You know, they were looking just for a better life, and they're doing just a basic lot quality of life things. Uh, that, right, that, and so wow. I want, and so I hear them, and I know they come out here and they're expecting something different, and I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I gotta, I gotta help them. So between my own personal my own personal passion about it and just frustration people saying the things they say, because this is the problem. Every time we get something that's bad, we move, and we leave behind ghetto. We've done that from the beginning of time. We just move, and so there's another ghetto, so now we move to this. And then, and then we left to, oh, that used to be a beautiful place. That used, oh, I remember when, well, you know, I'm not a young person, not an old person. I got some time left for me to say, let's just do it right now. Let's just make it, let's just remember now. And fix it up. Wow. And so those are the reasons I'm running. Well, I love it. And I have to say, you know, it all comes back down to that fight or flight type idea. 
And also, mm-hmm. the other thing I was just thinking as you were explaining this and talking about this, I tried to figure out, well, why, where, where do people think they can actually go that all <laughs> the the things, you know, the problems won't eventually, you know, make its way to their doorstep? I, I yeah. just, I don't understand that. What, you know, I don't get that concept at all. So if we don't come together, which to me seems the only way that we can make any kind of meaningful change, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what to say. <laughs> but I tell you one thing I do want to say. I'm glad that we have Annette Blackwell. Thank okay, you. I'm glad of that. Um, and we need you. And Thanks. we need you. So I'm just hoping this, uh, we, you know, that this is just the beginning of this whole uh you know, a uh, political uh, career for you. We just would love for you. We need someone out there and fighting the good fight and understanding um, and being a person who understands our community. You're from the community, and uh, you represent the community and and, and and then some. And so we need you. So just keep doing what you're doing. You, you, you're doing an amazing job. And, again, I just want to thank you from uh, the Hair Radio Morning Show team and, all the folks who are so wonderful to us out there in that area, uh, in, you know, from Maple Heights, Ohio area, you're just amazing. So keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. And then, uh, anybody that you want to sh- uh, shout out to this morning, um, we know that you got a lot of folks who uh, helped to put together your campaign. Um, you know, anyone that you want to shout out to? I mean, well, certainly uh, Ms. Tina Hobson, Hobson of Superwoman Radio and Kimberly yes. Brown. Uh, who's been my strategist for 10 months now and, wow. uh, you know, just trying to help make it happen. It's been a, a challenge on, on many levels, you know, just trying to get the word out, um, just making ourselves available. It's been a very small team, but a productive and a mighty team. So to, to the two women that have been really significant in terms of they, they have a lot of venues, and I'm still trying. I have to still work. <laughs> well, and so when I'm working, these two are, are just filling in the gaps for me all the time. And for that, I'm extremely appreciative. Extremely appreciative. Wow. You're wearing many hats, actually. <laughs> you really are. You're wearing many hats, and you're doing a great job at it. I, I just, uh, you know, we are just in awe. Well, listen, um, I have to say, and I thank you so much. Uh, you're very we want to, yes, well, we want to encourage everybody. Now, again, they need to come out if they're in uh, the Maple Heights, Ohio area. On November 3rd is the uh, big election there uh, that you're running for mayor. So they need to come out and support um, and just come on out and, uh, you know, and cast your vote. It's important. And uh, thank you so much. And you'll keep us abreast of how you are moving along. And, and uh, I can't wait to say the words Miss Mayor, you know. Uh, very soon. So we're going to keep all of our fingers crossed and and those of us who can come out and be part of it in your community, we will be there. So thank you so much. And thanks for being with us on the Hair Radio Morning Show. All right. Uh, We're going to have you to stay on, remain on the line. And uh, you folks uh, stay with us. There is a whole lot more of the Hair Radio Morning Show to come. Stay with us.
about Andy Malone, no. about the managers you work uh, but then you might right. have three and or no four one. people right, exactly. saying they know who Andy Malone is. <laughs> right. So uh, I figured I'm going to make it part of my life mission is to help uh, help people know about who Annie Malone is. Uh, yes. Because she no, was. Yes. Go ahead. Go right ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. She was. Oh no. Uh, she was an an incredible person. Uh, she was actually um, she trained up over seventy five thousand women entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she trained Madam C J Walker in to in in nineteen oh five, and Madam C J Walker became a a Poro agent because that was the name of her college Poro College. She built this beautiful building in St Louis Missouri, uh, four stories high. It looks uh, I have a, I have an original book that people can get off Amazon if they go to ParoCollege.com, and Poro College it's just very simple. The word first word is four letters. Paro, P is in Paul, O is in Ocean, R is in Ralph, O is in Ocean, Paro, like P-O-R-O, college.com. And uh, uh, they'll see this building, and then they'll also see a booklet that uh, she she published back in 1926. And a part of my Black History Collection, yeah, I have an original one of those 1926 booklets. There's very few of them around. And when you, when you open up the booklet, the first thing you start looking at is how incredible this building is. It's like it's straight. Uh, if I just showed you a picture of uh, some of the rooms, you would swear it's it's out of Wall Street, New York. And uh, and this particular uh, building was uh, a building where she trained up, uh, as I mentioned, uh, over 75,000 women entrepreneurs uh, who she gave cash awards to for saving accounts or home purchases. She gave a diamond ring to them after after five years of service. Her, her philanthropy toward them and toward others was legendary. Um, and and uh, this building is is just it's just an incredible place that she created for this. She owned a whole city block in Chicago. She paid. Imagine this. 1926 alone, she paid over forty thousand dollars in taxes. Just think about that. Amazing. One of the first Amazing. people in the entire state of Missouri to own a Rolls Royce. And well, uh, well, who was actually the very first self-made female African American millionaire? Was well, it I, Annie Malone, or was it? I mean, not that it, you know, is uh, something we should, you know, compare <laughs> on any level. But I'm just curious because uh, I, I've always grown up thinking it was Madam C. J. Walker. With all of her, you know, things and and accomplishments. Yeah, from all the re- the uh, research I've done, uh, if I were a betting man, and I'm not a, a gambling man, but if I were, I'd put I'd I'd bet the farm that Annie Malone was the first millionaires of uh, African descent, uh, women female millionaires in the country. And that's and what I'm getting. But timing. why? How on this earth? I try to figure this out as well. How did? Uh, and I love Madam. I love both. And oh, all the things there, there's that they no comparison. They both are wonderful. Yes. Absolutely. And that's but not even part of the discussion here. Right, exactly. But how on this earth did Madam C.J. Walker take all the things that she learned, which I'm sure was a uh, wonderful tribute to uh, Annie Malone, um, and seems that only America, it seems like we only remember or know of the accomplishments of the student as opposed to the teacher. I think a lot of it, a lot of it had to do, 
with uh, Annie Malone, uh, what happened is that uh, she ended up getting married mm-hmm. in, uh, I think it was 1924-ish, right around there. And uh, what happened is that after she got married, uh, her her husband, uh, he was not a very good man. And um, mm-hmm. he caused such incredible problems for her. Uh, that uh, I just shake my head, uh, and and felt that uh, he should he was due so much more than than uh, and they ended up getting divorced. Let me put it that way. Wow. And and from that point on, what happened is her business became. Uh, she was a very. If you look at her building and everything that she did, mm-hmm. uh, it was incredible, uh, impeccable. Uh, you know, clean. It was. Um, Orderly, it was. Uh, un, uh, I mean, you could see the record system she had. My my point being, is that this was an incredible person. But once after the the wedding, um, uh, then what happened is that he began to uh, sabotage everything. Uh. And so, and she never recovered. Then the IRS got involved, and uh. she never recovered from that at all. Here's here's a college. That employed in 1926 175 people with franchise outlets in in North America, South America, Africa, the Philippines. Uh, a wealthy, wealthy woman, and then at the end of her life, she pretty much dies destitute. And all that's left right now is the orphanage, the Annie Malone Orphanage, that uh, was um, a facility on Good Avenue. Uh, I don't know if you remember the song "Johnny Be Good" by Chuck Berry. Yes, yes, yes. He of grew course. up. On Good Avenue, right around the corner, and mm-hmm. that's that's where the spelling Johnny B. Good, G. O. O. D. E. in the song, it comes from that Good Avenue. All this time, I thought it was just Johnny B. Good, G. O. O. D. So yeah, G. O. O. D. E. If you look it up on the internet, you'll see it's that's how it's spelled. Wow. And uh, and he later became a beautician under the Poro system. He graduated in 1952 because he Amazing. he thought the music thing wasn't going to work. And so he became a beautician, and of course his song uh, songs just took off, and um, uh, you know he he never went back to it. But uh, right, right, amazing. Scene is designed to help folks to emerge. I would imagine. Is that how you came yeah. up with the name? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, I spent long and hard thinking of the perfect title for the magazine and even for the company because I do want it to be more than just a magazine and Emerge was the best uh, best word that described it. Now on sale, The Meeting Place, authored by Walter Allen Scott. The Meeting Place is an exciting, hot new release that takes the reader inside the world of today's barbershop. For the first time, be a fly on the wall and listen in to the truths that are being revealed that you won't be able to put down. It'll grab your attention from page one, The Meeting Place. Buy your personal autographed copy today, exclusively online at WalterAllenScott.com. You're listening to the Hair Radio Show. I'm Carrie Hines. Now, I have a very, I actually have two very special guests who are joining us on today's broadcast. We have Miss Katie and Brown and Miss Judy and Brown, both from Brooklyn, New York, and a wonderful supply shop called Black Girls Divine Supplies. Folks, I want to uh, take a moment to welcome 
both of you to the Hair Radio Morning Show. Good morning, uh, Miss Judy and Miss Katie. Good, Good morning. morning. Thank you so much Thank for you. having us. Absolutely. Now, uh, we're coming to you live. I, I just wanted to take a moment, and let's start with you, Katie. And can you tell the folks of the Hair Radio Morning Show uh, why you opened up this wonderful supply shop in Brooklyn? Well, um, we opened up this supply store. My sister, she's a licensed cosmetologist, and mm-hmm. her dream was always been to own a supply store or a beauty salon of some sort. So when she came up with this idea, I was more than willing to jump on board, and we just um, together ever since. And um, it's been a great thing because the feedback from the clients and the customers, like we're just doing a great service to them, and they appreciate it very much. Well, we're actually with you out here at this wonderful supply shop, and uh, you folks who are listening right now, can go right to our website at hairradio.com, and uh, there's some great pictures there. And I want to just uh, – now, you guys have been doing this for, what, it's been about three or four years Did you guys open up the shop? Right. Okay. And, and, and so tell us a little bit about how – was that difficult to do? Because, you know, you're actually a big inspiration to so many people of color out there, men and women. So was it a, a, a easy thing to do? Can anybody just do it? <laughs> Tell our yeah. listeners out there. It, it, I feel like anybody can do anything that they put their mind and heart to. Mm. And once mm-hmm. that is done, I feel like, yes, you can, anyone can do it. It's not an easy thing to do. It is very mm-hmm. difficult on a day-to-day basis. Um, we still deal with racism in some ways where we are limited to the supplies we can get from certain companies. They just keep us afloat when they feel like it. The type of money they're asking to do one supply order of a hair is kind of ridiculous. So uh-huh. it is not easy to do. There's times when the weather is really bad and there's nothing going on and you just have to basically keep your head up. But it, it's not hard to do. And once you put your mind to it, it can be done. But just prepare that it's it's a hard road and you just have to put your once you have to just accept of course well listen folks we are broadcasting to you live in new york city and uh we're actually at this wonderful location called black girls divine uh supplies and you know to me say what you guys katie and Judy, and tell everybody the exact address for our Brooklyn folks and for folks who are from out of the area who may want to still place orders through you guys, what is your address and phone number? Why don't you share that? And we just happen to be broadcasting, of course, uh, live here. So you're hearing a whole lot of Brooklyn, New York in the background, but that's okay. We know uh, we know Brooklyn. So uh, you guys, tell everybody your address, if you don't mind. We're located at 3904 Church Avenue, and that's in Brooklyn, New York. Our, and it's a plaza we're located in, so basically our entrance for the store is located between Snyder and Church Avenue of 39th Street. Terrific. Now, I want to say this. I mean, you have, I'm looking, you have everything here. You've got hair products. You've got beauty products. I mean, you even have uh, men's products. So uh, yeah. why was it important for you guys to also carry men's products? 
Because men have to look beautiful, too. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I I won't even touch that comment. Yes, I love it. Outstanding. Okay. One of the other big things I tell you guys that I'm so impressed with is that you guys were featured in the new the New York Times yes. newspaper. <laughs> now, I wanna, I, yes. Well, let me tell you guys out there for all of our wonderful fans and listeners all over the world. But for those of you who are outside of the New York area, what this really means and the reference that it that it has the significance. Now, I uh, of course you guys know I was in the New York Daily News, and that was a big thing. But right. the New York Times is <laughs> the number one news uh, periodical in the city. There right. is nothing, you know, the New York Times and the, the, and the Daily News are one-two punch in the city. So right. we're in just rare, rare air today, and I'm so excited. And they have a great story, and you can search all this online as well. And we're gonna kind of, we're gonna make some links onto our fan page that we're building for you at the hairradios.com website, so you'll be okay. able to go on and see some great pictures of Judy and Incadian and <laughs> nice. their wonderful supply store right here in Brooklyn, New York. And we invite you guys to come out and just you know patronize them and support them. And anything that you need, you know, you guys can also let us know at Hair Radio, and we'll pass it along to these wonderful, extraordinary folks. We're doing yeah. some wonderful things in supplies. Thank so, uh, yes, yes. Now, is there anything that you can pass along to someone today who is looking to follow in your footsteps, you guys? Yes. Um, we're actually willing to help anyone that wants to open up a beauty supply store or mm-hmm. be in the beauty industry. We're willing to share whatever information we have to get them started and to basically help them to, to, to this. Congratulations again going out to this was kind of like a wonderful tribute Annette. Show to uh oh. Annette Blackwell, yes. So she is now the mayor in her town in Maple Heights, yes. Ohio. We're very proud of her and excited. She was a recent guest. We ran her interviews a couple of times today. We're very excited. And uh, tomorrow lots of great things. Uh, we're having a special guest with us. Um Carmen, uh, who will be with us. She's out of the Dallas area. We're excited. We cannot wait to get her on the show. Um, yeah, we're be looking her first forward appearance. to Carmen. She's going to yeah. be live with us in the middle hour. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be really exciting. And we have some other surprises lined up for you and some recent guests as well. And uh, more that's music. Right. And we'll try to get some of the music that you guys want. So, again, send me some of the music. I'll put out hit a request up, for that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'll put out a request. You do the same, uh, Queen Goddess, and let folks know. 
send us what songs you want to hear. And uh, mm-hmm. that's it. We'll be back with you tomorrow uh, for a new edition of the All No Hair Radio Morning Show. And we'll do some more tribute shows, too. We love that. It's so much fun. So make yes, it a is. great Wednesday. We'll see you back mm-hmm. here tomorrow for another edition. Take